0: Welcome to the Republican Professor this morning for me. It's morning for me. We have with us Kara aspessy Did I say your last name right?
1: You said it right.
0: I should say Dr. Kara Aspesi. Sure. Um and I'm in California. Kara, you're in
1: Indiana, South Bend.
0: Indiana. the ben. no Irish. Oh yes, you're in South Bend. That's right. Yeah, you, you work for a college there somewhere.
1: Well, Is I'm. Right? Uh, I have a visiting scholar position right now at Notre Dame, uh, working on cataloging a manuscript that the that they have in uh, Rare Books, um, and I'm really great. grateful for it. So it's not really a position with the university, but a, a temporary kind of position.
0: Yeah, I hear. I hear you. Yeah. I've heard I've heard of those temporary positions before. I've I've heard of yes. the concept of them.
1: <laughs> I think you yeah. have. I th-
0: now did you say no how did you say it? Notre
1: Notre, notre Dame.
0: Oh, I've always said Notre Notre dom- Dame. Dami.
1: Yes, right. Or okay. uh oh. Yeah. That I'm sure that it's not the French way of pronouncing the words. i I'm, I'm quite certain of that.
0: It's French. I All guess right. that makes sense. Now <laughs> um what's uh what's the weather like there
1: well today it's beautiful which is uh something I'm so grateful for because the winters here of course are very long and very gray Mm. cold so today it's nice sunny I'm gonna go outside later and dig a hole for a tree and enjoy myself
0: that sounds fun oh yeah so the the ground is soft enough for you to dig a hole
1: Yes. It stopped freezing hard and it was raining yesterday. So it should be particularly easy for me to dig today. The great wow. soil, very oh, that's cool. foamy, sandy. Easy
0: what do you think get. the temperature is out there?
1: Ooh, maybe 50s, maybe say I forgot to check
0: 50s. Okay. So beautiful for you is 50s.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can go outside, <laughs> you don't really have to have a jacket on. <laughs>
0: So the bird, are the birds out? Are they chirping?
1: Oh yeah, they're out. They're oh, that's uh, good. I feed the birds, so they've been here all winter. Actually, yeah.
0: Funny how that works.
1: Wow, well, they come to eat. They anyone, you know, you feed them, they'll come. And they yeah, hang out. that's they're true. Here.
0: It's good for. It's actually good for community organizing. It's good for local <laughs> politics, and it's good for birds. That's right. All year round. <laughs> that's actually true. Um, during the sh- shutdown. Uh, the last two years, I noticed I started hearing birds that I'd never heard before in Southern California.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Part of it was me. Of course, I've always thrown bird seed out there, but I think it was a lot of other people throwing bird seed.
1: Nice. Because
0: that's what they, they were at home
1: right? and
0: they were like, let's put some bird seed out. I mean, they were bored. So they just started putting bird seed out. And I think birds, certain kinds of birds started showing up that yeah. I've never heard before so
1: that's really that's really fascinating it makes sense though I mean I think birds communicate with each other and then they tell everybody hey here's a party they, come on over I,
0: th- I think they watch each other too I think yeah I think the birds look and they go look what Larry do you, you know those guys over there yeah look what they're doing yeah they've let's been go. going there they've been going there every Thursday yes we should and... go
1: birds <laughs> are great they remind me a lot of I, I like to feed them because just constant reminder that God takes care of us. And he, he watches over the So I sit there and I, I watch what? birds out my window and I feel, I feel at peace watching them.
0: I have that same thought. I, yeah. do, I do the, the, the new Testament thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Kara, yeah. You, your academic background, wonderful segue. Gosh, we didn't even plan that. <laughs> we, never, we don't plan any of this. I just bring people on that I know I can have a conversation with. We don't have to micromanage the script. We don't have any script. That's right. But uh, your back- academic background is in theology, right? Is that right? Yeah. How, how would you characterize your academic background?
1: Oh, it's it's a mutt of things, really, um, which has been both a blessing and and uh, difficult for, you know, when I when I go to be... Uh, employed often people say, Well, what do you do? Because I first started actually <laughs> in English at Biola. Your um, English is very good. Oh, well, good, good, good. We see how this goes later. No, <laughs> 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 uh, English literature, and that's uh, cool.
0: That's a cool major.
1: It was, it was a lot of fun. I actually got into it because I was first a chemistry major and was whoa, struggling. Whoa. Started reading Tolkien at night on my roommate's recommendation. And of course,
0: nerd alert, resist? nerd alert. Oh, can sorry, I
1: that oh, yeah, totally nerd. You who were a chemistry. Tolkien?
0: You were doing chemistry and Tolkien.
1: Yes. <laughs> when, of course, Tolkien won. So I thought oh, to myself, yeah, I got to get out of chemistry cool. and do something with literature. So I wandered over the English department, then really got interested in, well, actually, how do we convey meaning to others? Of course, mm. as an English major, you get into all this theory, mm-hmm. uh, literary theory into the weeds and uh, thought culture has a lot to do with it. How can I learn about culture? I know anthropology. So I wandered over to anthropology and double majored uh, by the time I was done.
0: Oh, I didn't Uh, know that.
1: Yeah. In linguistic anthropology. Um, Really grateful to those folks. Um, And then after I graduated, was headed to a literature comparative lit program, actually here in Indiana, weirdly. And didn't feel comfortable with that and thought I still wanted to learn more about how language works. So wandered Mm -hmm. over to Talbot, which is, I think, how I met you um, and joined the the philosophy program over there. Never finished that, actually, but took some classes with J.P. Moreland and metaphysics and then Gary DeWeese and uh, philosophy of language. Incredibly helpful. Oh, yes I, I wish I could have finished that and could still always learn from those guys um yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I remember that course. I remember the philosophy of language course i I audited it. that might be where I met you actually I think
1: so, yeah, yeah, and Jonathan Reebseman was there, uh-huh. and I don't remember who else was in there, unfortunately, but uh from there, my overarching interest had been in you know how does God's word how does God's word reach us? How do we know what God means through the scriptures? Um, and in, in, in literary theory, there's all kinds of problems that are presented to students like, well, is there a meaning only, uh, in how I hear it or mm-hmm. is the meaning in the grammar or is it
2: right? Yeah.
1: Author. Yeah. Well, of course, we need to be able to know the author's intent if we're talking about divinely inspired scripture. So that's why I end up at Talbot trying to say, OK, philosophy language has this work. So, But uh, all that to say, my interest, my underlying interest was in scripture. So once I thought some about how God could reach us and his meaning could could come to us in a way that we could understand, then I wanted to know, naturally, how the canon was formed. Well, okay, if we can, <laughs> if we can reach these books' uh, meaning and we can hear God's meaning, um, then, well, how about the question of what books belong? Mm-hmm. What books are Revelation? you
0: um, speaking my language.
1: Right. It's, I mean, it's a very important question for, for believers and really for anybody. Yeah. Big um, time. Big time. Are these books those which god has spoken through so
0: yeah I when thought, you say canon uh just yeah. in case there's somebody listening that doesn't they think you're talking about a big gun
1: <laughs> right uh the the list of the list of books accepted as scripture um the 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 literary canon so there's like lots of different canons um
0: yeah
1: uh and we can say the canon of Western literature, the canon mm-hmm. of scripture, yeah. the one that I got interested in.
0: One N, uh, not two.
1: <laughs> one in, <end>. That's right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, then I thought, well, I should study the history of the early church. That was the period in which the canon emerged. I mean, the, the, the Christians recognize which books belong to the collection of the New Testament, particularly. I thought, who knows about the early church? And at the time, there were many of our colleagues who were headed from Talbot to Notre Dame to study we're, the philosophy program.
0: Right. That's right. Because yeah. of Alvin Oh,
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> and there's other people there, too, actually. Alvin right. is the most famous. But uh, who else was there? Uh, you happen to know the other ones? Uh the guy that's everybody's scared of,
1: the one that uh, they're scared of.
0: Yeah, and I've, I I re- was required to read him too. The free will guy, the essay on free will.
1: Oh, Peter
0: Van An- Vaninwagen. I think he was Inwagen.
1: there. That, that's right.
0: That's yeah. right. Um, then, yeah, there was a couple other people that were there.
1: Yeah, well, God used that to sort of uh, all these people who were going back and forth between Talbot, well, going to Notre Dame from Talbot, to turn my attention to this university that had this excellent program. <laughs>
0: where were you at this time though I mean so you're you're describing this uh very methodological it almost sounds like you're sitting in a chair and you're like well and then I'm then I got interested in how words uh, convey meaning and then you know like a couple hours later you're like and then the canon it It wasn't uh, one it wasn't one sitting that you're having this this realization and how long was this how long of a process was this
1: Oh, I mean, I think it started in in literary theory classes back as an English major. And then, you know, through conversation with people, professors, Mm -hmm. friends.
0: A couple of years, you think? Two, three, three, five years?
1: Four. Four years. I've been interested in the scriptures all my life that I can remember. um, Mm -hmm. But I hadn't really realized that there was this canon question that I needed to think about.
0: Did you grow up as a Christian then? Are you Christian or... I am. And okay, hold on, hold on. I gotta correct. I had you down as a Muslim. Hold on, Kara <laughs> is not a Muslim. I am not. All right. Well, maybe you're redefining Christian because you know how people do that. They redefine Christian and then they put whatever some yes. some weird meaning into it, like a good right. person. Right. Like the people in the South, they they say that's not very Christian of you. Right. Well, what they really mean is that's not very kind of you, or culturally. Yeah. So, but it's, it has nothing to do with really what the word Christian means. Right? So Maybe, maybe you, you have some kind of strange definition of Christian, like your definition of Christian means that, that there what is, is one God and Muhammad is his prophet. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. So just kidding. <laughs> oh,
1: who, who is a Christian? That's a great question. Everyone should ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is the um, what is mere Christianity as C.S. Lewis put it, you know, mm-hmm. and is it merely mental assent to a certain set of truths, or does it look like more than that? And mm-hmm. uh, which truths? And um, yeah, in fact, you know, if you don't have back to canon, if you don't have a canon, you can't really start having a conversation about the list right. or the things that you ought to believe to be to be called a Christian which really makes the source of authority for what kind, how we define our faith, an important question.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, if someone comes along and says, well, you know, I think Christianity means this and this and this, and you say to them, well, no, I, well, no, I don't think that's what Christianity means. Well, how are you going to make a judgment? You're just going to argue right. until what, you know, you have yeah. to refer to an authority yeah, yeah. outside that's of yourself. Right.
0: What what are you using Hallmark cards, Hallmark, Uh, you know, my quotes from calendars and coffee mugs,
1: maybe, right, that's what a lot of us do, unfortunately, or, I mean, I'll jump ahead to something else that I got interested in later, maybe you're using something you sang in a worship song, you know, Uh, songs have a great, great influence over our theology, and we often don't think about it. But we're always we're always hearing messages from our culture, from songs, maybe from scripture, maybe not from our upbringings, from expectations we had, Mm. you know, in our educational settings. And we have to be careful that we're not using those to define the faith. uh, Yeah. First and foremost.
0: You think that worship songs should flow out of uh, authentic faith and not shape them? Or how how would you put that? but
1: it has to be circle of influence and hopefully it's a healthy one. The worship worship songs, things written by people, uh, a good song or a piece of art, uh, poetry, uh, we would hope comes out of a vibrant, active Orthodox faith, uh, and that yeah. it in turn shapes a person who sings it, repeats it, instantiates it, you know, um, to be that kind of a believer or that kind of a a friend or worshiper or spouse or parent um, teacher so we would hope that they there's a feedback mechanism when it comes to when it comes to liturgy makes sense yeah um it's definitely not you know directional uh, that's yeah. actually where I ended up after a stint in doing early Christianity at Notre Dame, and to learn about the history of the early church, kind of explore the canon thing. I realized maybe when, the when
0: you say, oh, okay, when you yeah, say so stint,
1: masters, <laughs> masters. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. So, the, well, all right, that that a masters and early
1: Christianity. It?
0: early christian early
1: christian studies actually is the, the name of the program and it was jointly sp- sponsored by classics and theology at oh, notre dame cool. uh, great program wow Excellent that sounds professor. so awesome oh it's such a blessing i i love the university of notre dame uh and very affirming place um as, did you have to study latin yes i am not good what was that
0: like uh <laughs> <did> you- <laughs> Did you have any Latin at all when you got there?
1: Uh yes, because Dave Horner at Talbot took yeah. me under his wing and tutored me for a, a couple semesters. Um Okay. And that allowed me to apply and eventually I actually was not accepted to Notre Dame the first time. So if you're thinking about studying and you're rejected, but you think that's for sure what you needing to do, maybe it's a timing issue. You know, lots of things in life are timing issue.
0: The second, um, the second time you applied, did you slip a a, a ten dollar bill in there?
1: No, but I said I'll be back. You know, every year it's more or less like a fifteen dollar Nord,
0: for... Nordstrom gift right. gift card, yeah. Neiman Neiman Marcus. Yeah, something card.
1: maybe to to the some publishing houses the professors might like. Right. Yeah. That's... That was a low point for me for sure. When I was rejected, I thought for sure God wanted me at Notre Dame and and, and he did. It just wasn't the right time. Um, at, but... that,
0: at that time when you were rejected. Um, I'm so sorry to hear about that rejection <laughs> now that you have a PhD from Notre Dame, right? Do you have okay. a PhD from Notre Dame?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Yep. So gosh, I'm glad I got that fact, right? Jeez, that would have been <laughs> That would have been like, no. Oops. And that was the most that was the that second was the most heartbreak difficult heartbreak. thing, too. Okay, so now, now looking back, I'm so sorry about that first rejection there, or the actually the only rejection, maybe. Um, I guess it was the first. If it's the only, it's still the first. Um, yeah. The what your academic uh preparation at at that point had been a BA in literature and anthropology, mm-hmm. double some, major. Yep. Some coursework. Some philosophy um uh-huh. some did you have some bible some some, some latin
1: some latin some, some greek
0: latin, some greek um and then you had probably 3 or 4 years of thinking through issues of authority and communication and uh, that got into the meaning theories of meaning um what orthodoxy is what does it mean to be a christian i'm assuming you were really reading c.s lewis at some point in there yeah i've read c.s lewis right um right. and you had thought about tolkien because you mentioned tolkien Ooh, yes you had you had a couple of chemistry courses under your belt at that point right
1: yes had you awesome. taken
0: organic yet
1: no i got out before <laughs> <laughs> <I had to laughs> <Okay. suffer.
0: laughs> so you got out before organic all right right so you you took the early retirement package from the chemistry uh, major. I know what what did do you remember what you did take in your chemistry major?
1: I just took the the first chemistry courses, and I had Basic taken chemistry. them at I had taken them at junior college before and had been fine, but somehow it's,
0: they call it general chem or something like that. Yeah, gen, gen chem, gen chem,
1: gen chem, and uh, I I still got the uh, good taste of the of a medicine though because my my husband's a physician. So <laughs> I didn't get away from it. So
0: where did you guys meet?
1: We met in Chicago. We met at a uh Jeff Vanderselt talk. Jeff Vanderselt, uh do you have you heard of him? Soma community uh, it seems
0: like it, but I, I'm having a hard time remembering Jeff he, Vanderselt.
1: He uh
0: is it Amway?
1: No, he's he's Soma community, so like body um and they have a really great model for church which is meeting in homes and they and i i mean my main takeaway from from jeff van is that discipleship begins before conversion and so these this church which is in tacoma i believe they're open to having non-believers into their homes into the community of believers Hmm. and that actually makes a lot of sense because, you know, people don't find mere ideas usually very convincing. They find people convincing.
2: Uh, and
1: so, you know, true. if you, you're in a group of, you know, conversion happens along social network lines typically. Mm-hmm. If you're in a group of people that you find compelling and Rodney loving.
0: Rodney Stark, little Rodney Stark action you're throwing up. That's there. right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that the rise of Christianity had that yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. I taught oh. that book for over a decade at Pepperdine, so that's why.
1: Oh, do you love it?
0: I mean, I I use it? it. I use yeah. it. I use it and it was required reading for me when I took church history, so. Yeah. Um yeah i mean fascinating he, book. his his uh his scholarship for those of you who are not following this windy path right now I'm <laughs> talking about rodney stark rise of christianity originally published by princeton university press and you know you're just gonna have to get it to understand what we're talking about get it and read it, Do but, read uh, it. yeah yeah well he he's he was uh he studied mormons yeah. His first work was studying Mormons and how Mormons have been so successful. Right. Quote unquote successful numerically. I mean what I mean by successful is numerically um spreading and conversion, you know. So mm-hmm. I mean his numbers are kind of dramatic, I think, as I recall. I, I think mm-hmm. he said that there were like 60 million. I can't remember what it what it was, but it was some crazy number of Christians by the time of Constantine. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I believe that there were that many Christians running around uh, yeah. at the time of Constantine. So I'm not sure how to assess, but it is, there's a lot of stuff in there that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm not sure about the numbers either precisely, mm-hmm. but I do like that he points out there was rapid growth. Yes. And I think one of his main points is, you know, Constantine didn't make Christianity successful, but rather he joined with Christianity because it was successful. Yes. And yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, that makes military, sense. I mean,
0: based on what we know.
1: <laughs> right. Military leader, if you go with who's winning, you don't,
0: you know, uh, right.
1: for supplication to a week. We, we
0: do We do that in seventh grade, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. Right. This is what humans do. They join with the powerful side. And, uh, so I, I find his work yeah, fascinating. If anyone yeah, needs something to read about early Christianity as sort of a, as a, um, piecemeal, like each chapter, you can learn something from it and then learn something from the next chapter without having to feel that you have to get through a, you know, 300 page book to get the point. Um, he, he talks about women. He talks about pandemics. He talks about uh, yeah. Right. Social conversion. What else did he talk about? The army, doesn't he? I'm forgetting. Yeah. yeah. Um, military. So great. He book. Said,
0: he said that a lot of Christians were successful because of how they reacted to a pandemic and they reacted differently than everybody else did. They went That's right true. into it. They went right into it. They yep. went right into, they did not social distance. They went right into the suffering <laughs> and, and <laughs> The pagans were watching that, <laughs>
1: right? That's what Pagan. he says.
0: And, you yeah. know, I mean, he does have some, he does have evidence for that. So.
1: Right. And so, I think that the Christians did, they cared for the sick and set them apart. Um, I think he makes the point too, that there was greater survival rates too among those who were nursed. That's true. To hell because,
0: because of uh, uh, basically immunity. Yeah. You know, acquired immunity, right?
1: Yeah. And care just, I mean, you can imagine abandoned. no one's bringing you food. No one's bringing you water. You will die a lot sooner. Right. It's It's such a
0: basic thing. Yeah. Care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Providing for providing for people's physical needs is is really important.
0: You were talking about this guy, Jeff VanderSelt, and Oh
1: yeah. So, soma communities, you know, invite uh, non-believers into your homes and your communities up front anyway. So I went to a talk by Jeff
0: Well, that's how kids are. Kids are converted. I mean, that way. Right. That makes sense because you don't come out of the womb. All apologies to the mistaken um, traditions that think you're born a Christian. But right. um, It's not an authentic apology because I don't think I did anything wrong. But (laughs) I'm just saying (laughs) when you when you the, the the little babies are born, they're not Christians
1: no they haven't chosen to follow
0: christ they're little pagans Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and amen to that they are well they're they're made in the image of god i mean we when we say pagan we don't mean that they're uh not the image of god they are the image of god and and they're
1: little sinners and they little sinners have not decided to follow jesus
0: and what do you do? You don't take them to church after they become a Christian. You take them to church the whole time right
1: that's right that's so. right and then they come
0: were you ra- to were you know raised in church Lord.
1: yeah i uh I was yeah from the beginning my parents my dad came to faith in high school. my mom was raised uh a believer in a- in a believing home um and they met in high school. They actually went to Biola, the both of them. Really? I didn't know that. Yep. Um, I was raised in many ways with the Orr kids. If anyone knows Biola, they'll know Matt and Pat Orr. Matt was a longtime wrestling and soccer coach there. He coached my dad. He was a wrestler for Biola. Um, And so a lot of my mom's child rearing came from Pat Orr. Uh and I know that all the orchids now, but yes, so raised, raised in the church, um had dreams as a four-year-old of uh, very distinctive dreams, I still remember going to hell. And God certainly used those wow. to and my Sunday school teachers and my friend who told me, who told me I was going to hell without mincing words, uh, that if I didn't trust in Jesus. So when I was four, I crawled in my parents' bedroom at nighttime and said I wanted to pray that Jesus would become my savior. So it's a journey since then but
0: it was a f- it was the fear of hell that got oh, yeah.
1: you there
0: 100% okay the, you I just mean, gave I us think, the title for the episode the fear of hell
1: the fear of hell and conversion right but uh the i think fear of hell i think beginning with a uh there ought to be a healthy fear of god Yeah. i think we're missing that a lot in our culture um at this point not having a respect for his wrath against sin a just wrath um which really is in our best interest that god move against sin <laughs> i mm-hmm. mean nobody when they're experiencing injustice or yeah. sin would say to themselves oh i hope god never deals with this we would intuitively right. say i hope god does deal with this yeah we just don't like to talk about god's wrath when it's directed at us so <laughs>
0: yeah
1: but it's it, you funny, know.
0: funny how that works
1: yeah well you know that's well weird. some
0: people might say though that we um uh, the god issue of god's wrath we we are vengeful and that we are vengeful yeah yeah we're vengeful we like the idea of vengeance
1: hmm yeah we maybe i think i we mean like not i don't want it against
0: me but you know right
1: yeah <laughs> I think, but I think there's a place for saying no more, you know, to something that's truly evil and truly wrong, sure, and sure. that that's a proper response.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, I'm on your side on that one. I mean, I think that um, justice is a very, it's a legit intuition that we have, um, mm-hmm. that justice is, is a thing. It's real. Yeah. And it's not fully actualized. And we all know that. And and then we also have personal spite and sometimes that gets mixed up in the, in the soup of justice. And it's hard to tell what's what.
1: Yes, that happens. I'm guilty of that 100%. And I think our human sense of justice is often flawed, but God's is not. And Hmm. that he, he moves in righteousness against that which shouldn't be anymore and for our good i mean mm-hmm. if we were allowed to persist forever in something that was not good for us and that's what mm-hmm. sin is something yeah. that's ultimately self-destructive how would that be good of god to allow that to go on not only you know is to end it in our lives or to rescue us from that would be the ultimate good and of course he did that at his own cost and he did that on the cross and i mean that's the beauty of the gospel is that God is both just and justifier mm. that he's dealt with sin and we can be accepted because Christ has paid the price for us. And
0: <laughs> I notice that we're both wearing Easter colors.
1: Yes. <laughs> if we're, and- I mean, if we don't embrace that, I don't know why we wouldn't. I mean, it's just good news that despite being really messed up people, God loved us and atoned for our sins and has given us his righteousness so we could be accepted by an all holy God. And that's just really reassuring. I'm not, I don't have the pressure to perform anymore, you know, before God and I don't have to keep doing right things to somehow make myself acceptable.
0: Kara, did you ever go through a period of doubt and skepticism after your conversion at four years old, (laughs) um, from the fear of hell?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I went through a rebellious phase when I kind of like knew everything was true, but just hated it anyway. That was in eighth grade. My poor parents. Uh, Did you go to
0: public schools?
1: Yes. All my life. And um,
0: so your rebellious was was eighth grade. What were you doing? you were
1: Oh, you know what junior hires do, trying to be cool, trying to fit in. So, I mean, I was trying to be accepted by a group of friends at that time and decided I would do anything to be accepted. So started <laughs> dressing like them, started stealing for them from the teacher's stealing. office because all the teachers thought I was oh
0: Gosh,
1: how, how far so does this hateful. stealing go?
0: Did you knock off any banks or liquor stores? Uh, or?
1: No, you know, just like, you know, grandma's cookies and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, just became really nasty towards my parents. I'm sure they were Completely appalled. And uh, it was really great for me because at the end of the year, all my friends said, Well, you're a terrible person. We don't want to be friends with you anymore. Uh, Oh, wow. So that was great for me because it left me really broken in the right kind of ways. And so I went into high school realizing that I had God and I had to rely on Him for my feelings of adequacy and that I would be committed to Him. And so High school, I think I. that's
0: a a really mature thought for a ninth grader. I, my adequacy is in the Lord. You're you're thinking that as a ninth grader,
1: I I had no (laughs) friends. It was like the only thing that God loves me, you know, Jesus loves me. We sing that song when we're little, but that's like the bedrock, right. Of our confidence is that not, not that I'm doing anything, but that Jesus reaches out to me that he loves me. So yeah, I think I, I've realized that in the ninth grade, it, it, you realized that grade, before
0: you could drive legally,
1: you know, in New Mexico, you could drive when you're 14. So I you don't grew, know. Oh, you,
0: grew there. Up, you grew up where Breaking Bad was.
1: Yeah. You somehow
0: avoided meth and heroin. <laughs> in eighth grade rebellion.
1: By the mercies of God. No, I mean, it was great. It was a small town, Northern New Mexico, um, you know, driving trucks out in the mud and climbing on the
0: northeast or northwest
1: northwest four corners
0: that's that's the mountains area
1: oh yeah that's nice that's
0: a nice area i love that area
1: yeah are you from colorado
0: yep yeah so whenever sometimes when i go to texas i drive down through new mexico yeah um it's not very often very actually i think probably could count on count the way i've gone there on two fingers but right yeah. Um, but it's, I, I do recall there's a kind of a hill, well, I guess they would call it a mountain, but I don't know, but it's between Colorado and there's, it just seems like you go over a ridge and you're right. in New Mexico or something like that. And
1: right. If you go like the really back roads through like where I grew up, you go through some pretty big passes. If you were coming from the North down mm-hmm. to, into New Mexico. Yeah. or you come down the interstate and you'd go over some yeah more like not total mountains but bigger well, ridges that, that's
0: a similar kind of feeling of of how i grew up did you grow up hunting and fishing and stuff
1: ah uh, my dad was a big hunter and i am lame and never
0: really <laughs> i well, should
1: have i think we went dove hunting a couple times but i'm well, not a great shot it's, it's too bad
0: they're uh, so small it takes a lot of patience to like get make food out of food out of them but apparently they're very delicious
1: i know uh, maybe if i had started with something bigger i would have had more
0: confidence (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right that's right because they're so small and And they they are fast they do that's right there's a lot of them thank god because you need a lot of them to make that stew and really you should make a stew because there's no point in like roasting the daggum thing because it's so small
1: too tiny my dad um, was my dad hunted, uh, geese on the river and that's still something he likes to do. And, uh, that, that would have been bigger. I could have tried that. I went out a couple times with him to do that too. He likes to get out there early in the morning and relax and take in nature and, and hunt. So
0: Ge- geese, uh, require a larger shell. You typically like a 12 gauge and it kicks more. And it's not really that fun. I I I don't enjoy the twelve gauge that much, right. but the doves you could use a little twenty gauge and that doesn't right. kick at all and it's not too bad. Right. What about really, the big game? Big game hunting at all? No?
1: He, you know, you have to you have to draw out right in Colorado for elk. So mm-hmm. I don't think he got. I don't think he got many tags. I think he okay. went. Gotcha. My uncle would get an elk every once in a while if he got, if he got drawn. There's and a lot of then, elk.
0: there's a lot of elk in that side of, of uh, Southern Colorado and New Mexico too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, too. I,
0: I would see them crossing the highway.
1: <laughs> yes. Lots of deer. Um, he did. He was more deer hunting when we lived in California when I was a kid. Okay. And then. And then he kind of,
0: Anything with fishing.
1: I mean, there's some great fishing, fly fishing on the San Juan river. Mm-hmm. Um, he has some friends he goes out with. I'm not a great fisher, either, although well, they do have the claim of being the only one to catch a fish out of the animus in our family, so really yeah, I don't know. there used to be fish in there. I can think they're kind of gone now. It's sad, but um hmm. but yeah love- loved grow, growing up where I could get outside, go hiking
0: so you outside. graduated from high school in New Mexico,
1: yep aztec New mexico uh population six thousand so um it was fun that was fun it was a great place to to grow up I don't know that it's doing so well economically right now though the Mm -hmm. area um Mm -hmm. we actually moved back there for a while but uh ended up then moving to Boise and then moving back here to South Bend
0: did you know any um Indians or anything like that when you grew up there oh yeah there's a the
1: the reservation the Navajo reservation Navajo Nation is right there by where I grew up um near Farmington so i'd say about i mean my impression is that growing up it was like a third hispanic well, and i'm talking like old hispanic families people yeah. have been there for a long, oh, yeah.
2: long time oh yeah they third go way white
1: back. third native you know mm-hmm. mostly navajo my friends um yep and uh it was a it was a good mix it's a good mix that's um
0: the first people that figured out horses lived in that area um
1: is that yeah the
0: I pueblo right. the, i think it was the pueblo, pueblo that, that figured out horses yeah and then i mean the the horse culture changed the entire World. Indian culture because yeah. <clears throat> the plains. if you can imagine trying to hunt buffalo
1: on, on foot. foot no <laughs>
0: and they somehow did it without firearms you know it's it's, a, it's an it's an amazing it, it's amazing thing to see, but I, I guess a lot of the horses were stolen by mm. other tribes, by more fierce tribes, and the the tribes that figured out the horse took over the plains. Basically, it's an interesting story. I'm not sure yeah. I have all the details of it, but yeah, but, um, the the, the Pueblo, yeah, the Pueblo were they were I guess they were, <laughs> I think I think it's even related to what they were called by the Spanish, the Pueblo were uh, kind of more or less stationary. They, they, they weren't wandering around they built, very much.
1: Right. They built homes.
0: And so, right. yeah, so they, that, that made, they, they didn't have the concept of a fort, which is what right. they really needed that. And yeah. once they had something valuable like, like horses, yeah, they were yeah. just a target, militarily yeah. a target. And so the Comanche <laughs> and the, the Apache... Right. Some of them were these more fierce tribes. Um, once they got horses, man, interesting. Well, anyway, sorry, I'm going off on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm weird. You know, I like reading about this stuff.
1: Horses are, I mean, horses are great. Love horses.
0: Now, did you grow up with horses?
1: Some. My dad's side of the family raised Arabians. Um hey, wow, So. We didn't really have the finances to have horses, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but there were horses on our property on occasion. My sister had a horse for a while. We had a pony, um, named Missy. And so, you know, can ride, not afraid of horses, but we didn't really ever have enough money to own them.
0: What did you, uh, what did you do for fun in high school?
1: (laughs) Well, um, rode around trucks in the Hills, especially if it rained, cause then we go mud bogging. That was fun. We would go out and, uh, our youth group, we just like to have a lot of fun. We'd go out and climb the mesas and go hiking and, um, you know, explore things outside. That's what I did in high school. Um, went on a lot of mission trips during the summer to various places. Um, you know, probably have some different thoughts about the utility of doing that now as an adult, but at mm-hmm. the time it was really great for me to, um, see it's how good other for people the lived. people
0: going on the mission trip. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Not so much value maybe to the people that we were yeah. trying to help, yeah. but, uh, did, uh, did a missions internship because of that after high school with, Calvary Albuquerque called lifeline missions. They no longer in existence. No, that, um, we helped build some things that was, that seemed a little more useful. Were um, you
0: raised in a Calvary chapel? Is that what I heard?
1: No, no, I wasn't. I was raised in a non-denominational church. Um, still non-denominational to this day. My dad is the pastor there. Um, really? yeah. Oh and uh great guy. My parents have led, I, I would say they're both pastors. Um, they lead there, my mom and dad, and uh, they are not Calvary, but I went to the Calvary missions internship, um, which I really enjoyed. And that was a great experience for me too, um, down in Albuquerque. And then from there, yeah, I was off to junior college and college, et cetera, et cetera.
0: What I find interesting about the reason I ask is what you did, what you found fun was it was nothing academic that you mentioned. You you didn't mention you were, so you said you were riding in trucks in the mud, hiking, exploring. (laughs) You want some short-term mission trips, right? But
1: not, yeah, I don't think I'm really,
0: what what did you, what did you you play with when you were a little girl?
1: (sighs) Oh, I had color, looks, color books, color oh. books. I had those are good. Particular about my crayons. We had blogs. Oh yeah. Um, my yeah. mom, she's so great. She just kicked us outside a lot of times. She just don't come back. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened with us. So outside go, stuff. Forts, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean forts down by the river and oh, going nice. you know down forts. by the creek and my brother was always See? building things
0: you were using your imagination and you were getting exercise.
1: That's right. And that's what kids need. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. I have sort of a vendetta against uh, electronic devices. that
0: <laughs> Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine what it's like now.
1: Oh. You cannot
0: I cannot mean, even imagine.
1: They're addicted to their little brains and then they don't, they're not happy with other things. So as much as possible, we try to limit, their use of electronics so that they can,
0: do they have phones? Do, do your kids have their own phones?
1: No, they do not have phones. Um, when
0: I was a kid, I had a phone. My, my parents let me have a phone when I was really little. I had a pay phone that I would drag around.
1: A pay phone.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was actually bigger than I was. And I would drag it by the, the uh, what do you call it? The thing you talk into
1: the receiver.
0: Yeah. I would, that's how I drag it around and it had quarters. I never got the quarters out. I guess I had dimes. Where
1: did you get this thing?
0: And it had a, a camera function on it, and but it used film. And what? I never, I never knew how to change the film. I'm kidding.
2: I'm uh, <laughs> like, what you doing? This is so strange.
0: I'm seven. I'm seven. Get off your damn phone. <laughs> but dad, I'm trying to get the quarters out. I said, get, get go out and play soccer. You're always right. always on that phone. You're always, all, I can't, right. I That's can't exactly. even imagine what it's like having kids with phone stuff. I just, yeah. uh, God, bless no, you.
1: they, just, I mean, kids, <laughs> kids need to learn how the environment works. The only way they're going to do that cause and effect balance and what's safe and what's not is to go get out there, you know, maybe hurt or, them a little bit.
0: So Kara, I'm going to jump here. Cause we, we hit your childhood and your childhood was very active and outdoorsy there's nothing nerdy in your childhood besides maybe the pretend stuff with the forts and the imagination and all that right that's not really that nerdy though it's just normal kid stuff but so how do you go from that to basically spending your adult life in the library doing um
3: scholarship I mean
0: even what you're doing now you said you're working on some curated special collections manuscript is that right
1: yeah it's uh so it's a it's um, a breviary no sorry a diurnal gosh my brain i was thinking of my, my own research a diurnal which means the hours not a night prayer for the office that you know religious communities would celebrate in the middle ages so uh, are you familiar with the hours of prayer no a little bit not. a little bit yeah But um, so just the yeah. the the structured hours of prayer which would begin well
0: these are original uh, documents that you're talking about
1: yeah it's a manuscript and it's it's all the chants and prayers that were sung during these hours of prayer in a community and the and this is uh a where monastic. is
0: this where was typically
1: this was the monks uh some uh, a of a carthusian house in paris and and so what year, this, what
0: year was this do you think
1: Diurnal was, gosh, this diurnal was the late 1300s. Am I saying that right? Late 1300s. I am already forgetting, which I should know because I was supposed to be.
0: Do you do all this work on a computer? How does this work?
1: Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I'm working. I'm not working right now with a physical copy of the manuscript, which, which Notre Dame has. I could go look at it, but I just need to catalog the chance that are in the manuscript and there is an online database that many, many scholars contribute to called Cantus. Um, that's a, okay. it's called the database for Latin ecclesiastical chant. And you put in the text. And then if you're a musician, which I'm not, I can't do the medieval music part. You can put in the, basically the melodies, um, wow. and the tones, and then other chant scholars can come along and see what's going on with that particularly called the use, the use of that house. Um, mm-hmm. What they sing in what order, right? And they're drawing from a repertory that's well established in the Middle Ages of chants, but they're putting them in different orders. So for wow. the feats of the year, and so like a diurnal or a breviary will have all diurnal for all the day the day hours, and then a breviary will have everything for the night hours as well, like matins, which starts like at three p.m. and two p.m. in the morning. Two, sorry, two a.m. What am I saying?
0: Now is <laughs> anyway. this is this one document that you're working on, or is it a group of documents?
1: it's just one book manuscript
0: okay uh, where was so it found like it and how, how, it. how what condition is it in and what where, where was it found
1: oh it's in it's in pretty good condition um so the provenance of it you know was owned by this carthusian house in paris and then um nobody knows exactly then it was in a collection by hmm. somebody and private these things collector? get passed yeah usually private collectors and they they get passed down through private collections and then mm. usually like universities try to buy them. And the, I mean, these manuscripts are thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, many of these manuscripts, if they had illuminations in them, you know, the artistic, beautiful,
0: yeah. right. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. They were cut up at some point, many people cut them to sell the illuminations to private collectors. So a lot of manuscripts that had illuminations in them have been dismantled. Um which all scholars are like, no, right? Because then oh you can't gosh. tell as much about the manuscript. I know. Uh, and it's amazing
0: anything survived because of how people are.
1: <laughs> yeah, not many people are greedy, and um, so this. Oh, they, is and a they just don't.
0: Price. They just don't understand what, what we don't think this way. We don't think in terms of like uh, even History. this conversation right here. I mean, you're wow. you're very good at this. I mean, this is very good conversation. The stuff you're providing us with with it would be useful for anybody three or four hundred years from now like i i that's how i look at this what i'm doing oh, i'm yeah. providing an archive for people later
1: of like what were humans doing
0: right <laughs> no uh, no one knows what it means now but uh you right? know i mean later right but, yeah well these,
1: these that's the thing about studying these particular books or any liturgical source is that you know there might be a theological treatise And it might describe something about what's happening in the daily lives of so-and-so. And and some of them do, especially like the sermons of John Chrysostom in the the fourth century. He's always talking about what his congregation is doing. But when you have a liturgical text providing the rituals and the prayers and the songs, then you have a really good handle on actual things people were doing, you know, Uh, actual thoughts they were thinking, uh, the structure of their day, what it was like to live, Right. right as a believer during that time. And of course, that's not to say that every liturgical book was practiced because some were just simply made as copies. So you have to be careful about assuming oh. that these things were lived. Uh-huh. But okay. you know, that's part of the work of the scholars to go through the book and see, oh, is this book used? is have marks, you know, being the pages being turned. But that's the value of a liturgical book is life and thought and theology lived, you know. Um, and, and looking wow. back and and often. You know, one of the big things I think, uh, liturgical scholars do. So my PhD is in lit- liturgy in theology. Um,
0: your PhD okay. is in liturgy and theology.
1: Yeah. So the liturgical studies branch of theology at Notre Dame, um, there, I think there's now six emphases in theology at Notre Dame. I think they just added a new one. And your um, ma-
0: your master's was in early Christian, early Christian Christianity,
1: early Christian or- studies. Right. So, so more, that's
0: basically like church history, early church history.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first few centuries, especially of, of Christianity, which, of course, was an age of liturgical celebration as well. So um, has did, always
0: you, did you was there an opportunity to get an MA or a, a Ph.D. and uh, continue the early church history or did you not want to do that?
1: I could have applied to their Christianity and Judaism and antiquity track.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one.
1: That point. Yeah, I was more interested in liturgical studies because going way back to the earlier part of conversation, I was beginning to see that liturgical celebration had a lot to do with the emergence of the canon and why it was recognized by Christians to be the canon. So at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm going to study liturgy because it helps me answer these questions. Um, I still want to work on that. I haven't. (laughs) Um, So you
0: your interest in this went way back to what you were talking about originally in this conversation which is talking about the canon and the source of authority for christian life and doctrine
1: right so yeah so okay so if we accept as believers that there is such a thing as revelation god's revelation which i don't think you can prove i think you have to take on faith for good reasons but i can't i don't think you can like prove that scientifically right there's such can't a prove
0: effect. it Can't ke- like in chemistry
1: not like in chemistry right
0: but you can so, th- there it's not it's not irrational it's
1: sensations. not irrational right so there could be philosophical and theological arguments made for the existence of revelation period but then once you get to the what is revelation there can al- there can also be historical arguments made or you know apologetic kind of arguments. The, then, then you would say, well, but how in history did the church come to recognize certain books as God's revelation? And how would I have any confidence that they they're the right books? Okay, so if I assume that there was revelation, and I have good reason for thinking God would reveal Himself through, you know, human language, mm-hmm. then which books? And one, I think we have to say, well, if God is who He says He is, He's perfectly capable in history of sovereignly overseeing the processes by which his books, his revelation would come to be recognized by the church as such. And he's always sort of worked through humans. I mean, he, Paul writes a letter. He's a human, you know, Um, Matthew writes an account of Christ's life. And there is a, a similar, not an absolute similarity, but a similar process going on, I think, where the church, early Christian communities through normal human historical processes and, and actual ritual processes come to recognize that certain books are divine revelation because they read them in the liturgy. They read them with the old Testament. And and we know this from sources in early Christianity and they are reciting them and, and they're, they're in a setting in which these books are held up as holy things right, Um, as important things. And this would be a a way in which the whole community owns the message as well. It's not as if, it's not not even possible for a small group of bishops or whoever to have controlled the message and changed it in any meaningful way without the entire community saying, no, you don't. We know these books. That We've been hearing these books. We've been listening to these books these books are part of uh our own tradition um they they were never secret you know and they were in these settings where uh people would say yeah th- these are sacred things and i think the liturgy then becomes the reading of of these books paul's letters for example or a letter from peter or hebrews
0: Did you just define Garden. liturgy for us really quickly?
1: Oh yeah so Is that
0: what you did? Sound like you I, said liturgy and then you said reading
1: Read, what is reading it's anything okay. performative really um okay. yeah the oh gosh defining liturgy i should be able to do this but if i'm going to put it okay in a way that just makes sense it's those things which we do habitually and regularly with the intention of uh the intention <coughs> in our own art. So it's not accidental. You don't do an accidental ritual, um, performing (laughs) them, um, for, for a sacred purpose. Um, and when you could say that any church has a liturgy then, um, whether they have it written down in a book or not, you know, Mm -hmm. they have a regular set of things. They do it.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: When they come in, they, they do this and then they do this and they do this or that's right. That's right. Catholics uh, defined liturgy. Um, very there are, there
0: are practices that are repeated. Right. Every time. Yeah. And it's funny. I grew up in a, a church that was like a Pentecostal church, although they didn't call themselves Pentecostal. Right. Um, they but didn't there was like, that. yeah, it's kind of like non-denominational churches, denomination churches that say they're non-denominational, but that's kind of like their denomination. Right. <laughs> anyway, right. it's like, it's it's like there was always the same standard practice and same things that you did we sung hymns for example we read the king james never read any other translation um there was always prayer at a certain time right took on a certain character
2: right there was
0: there was always a certain number of hymns that were sung it was never 12 hymns or anything like that it it seemed like it was like three maybe or four if it was some kind of bad thing right it was a celebration maybe four maybe you got the fourth one in i don't know but it was it was always the same practice it's kind of like when you watch a show on television it's always the same there's always the song in the beginning right and it's just funny it's like it's almost like the liturgy for television it's like there's right. the words you know director actor the actors are always first and mm-hmm. then the very right. last person to mention is the, the director right yeah it's like written by and then directed by and then and, and you have the same it's it's same thing it's songs and at the end there's a song right <laughs> it's right. like and it's podcasts an podcasts do the same thing they got the podcasts where you know you have a song or some jingle Right. And some group of sayings or some slogans or whatever. Right. I, I don't do that. I mean, I, I do have a standard kind of thing. Well, welcome. Okay, here's who we're talking about. Here to. we go. Right. right. Yeah.
1: Very minimal. But it creates an expectation, right? Doing the same things over right. and over again creates an expectation. It mm-hmm. creates a sense of, other, of otherness about that event, right? Uh huh. And, and it, it creates a community. That's attached to those things that we do, um, and so it can it can <laughs> it can do things. Excuse me. <laughs> like if you were to go to a place and do the same thing over and over again uh, and pray, and that place was a particular building. After a while, you think that building was special, right, you know, or particular, uh, mm-hmm. and you'd sort of be right you know you, you are creating something new when you practice yeah. together um right and i i think that's what's happening with with the books of the new testament as well so i mean this is something i think about a lot and have not had the chance to work on but i want to i want to write a book on this eventually get all my thoughts in order get everything hashed out go through the philosophy go through the the theology of revelation you know and then go through the history and the liturgy that contributed to the the emergence of the canon. Um, now, I can feel- I can
0: can we ask you really quick? Um, it, you seem like you have a very clear-eyed and firm faith. Like it doesn't seem yeah. like your graduate studies, all the work you've done, your your college, and your all your smart people stuff over there at Notre Dame. <laughs> it doesn't seem like <laughs> it doesn't seem like it hurt your faith at all. No. And did no. it, how did it shape your faith? Did it, it didn't hurt you. didn't make you become an atheist. It's not like you got into church history and you're like, Oh my gosh. Oh, son of a beep. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, you, you you seem to be fine. And you seem to be healthy. Is this, is this This possible, accurate?
1: Yeah. I hope I'm healthy. Um, I'm full of sin. I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) So, but, but I hope I'm on the, let me say, I hope I'm on the right, going the right direction. Um, I, I attribute a lot of, well, everything really to, to God's faithfulness to me, first of all, um, I mean there were there was a time I remember uh when I first started graduate studies at Notre Dame and learning about the history of the church I just thought wow it's church is kind of messed up and they you know, believed a lot of weird stuff and people are not that awesome you know but then I thought to myself wow but isn't that a testimony to God's faithfulness because here the church is still today despite right. all of the mess that we bring to it
0: I know it's amazing
1: And, and I think in the end the complexities of history bolstered my faith in God's faithfulness rather wow, than the reverse.
0: Can you say that one more time? I think that's really key. Okay. Let me see what, what I said, said
1: exactly. I well, think you were saying
0: the church is still here after 2000 the church is years. Still here. And, and it's I so messy. <laughs> it's
1: messy and people are fallible and have done some terrible things. You know, every generation does things that aren't, not honoring to God, but nevertheless, despite all those complexities and and the messiness of the church, God has been, God has been faithful and, and, and studying those parts of the church and studying how, how, well,
0: he's been faithful anyway. In other words, it's not like the church was great. And then God was like, all right, okay. You guys have done, done a pretty good job. Right. Um, so I'm going to be faithful and return to you.
1: Right. I guess, I guess I was saying, or how would it you put it? <laughs> bolstered my confidence in God's faithfulness to mm. see that the church still exists and persists despite all of her failures and that he must be behind the church because here it still is even after all of that mess, you know, and the mess that we're still contributing to it because all of us are sinners mm-hmm. and God is just gracious, He's just so gracious, and so, um I think too, I have come to well, I hope I've become more humble in my theological positions, not because I don't think there's truth, but because I know there is, but uh because I've seen that many good men and women over the ages have wrestled with issues and not always come to the same conclusion um, but you know, here the church still is. And here we are still having conversations um, and that God has guided his church to the essentials, to, to broad agreement on the essentials. Um,
0: what do you think the essentials are?
1: Oh gosh. Okay. Well, the Trinity. Right. We have to you,
0: believe, affirm- you believe in the Trinity?
1: Yeah. Have to affirm the triune nature of God. Um,
2: so
0: there's three gods and
1: no,
2: okay wait
0: what are the what's the trinity (laughs) there's three gods they have three different names three
1: three persons one god
0: three persons okay three persons (laughs) so it's it's three persons one god
1: one god and you know however you parse that out you know the the west
0: tripersonal active being created the world sustains it in existence judges it at the end of time judges it now
1: yes yep there's judgment constantly happening just because of natural consequences,
0: providentially guiding us. Right. It's an odd. It's an odd thing. The Trinity's an odd thing. We had Sanjay Merchant come on and talk. I don't know if you know who Sanjay is. But I
1: know. Was. I know of Sanjay. Uh, I am yeah, not qualified whole, to speak on the Trinity.
0: Well, he <laughs> we we did a whole Sanjay come on for. I said Sanjay, how long do you want to talk? Oh, I don't know. Let's give it. You know, I don't an know. Hour like 40, forty-five minutes hour. Two hours, two hours later, we're talking about the Trinity
2: Excellent. and we
0: didn't talk about the Trinity the whole time, but we, we did a lot of background stuff on him, but he's, he, um he helped us understand and articulate the Trinity. And that, that, Great. Was, that was one of the things I wanted to, so we got the Trinity and it's interesting. Trinity. Okay. Essentials. We're back to essentials.
1: All right. God is creator mm-hmm. uh, of all okay. and um, existed before any of this self-sufficient self-sustaining um different from the
0: world but cr- creator of the world
1: creator right
0: not 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 part of nature
1: right right not part of nature right. okay. and okay. that <coughs> excuse me Bless you. i got really sick this last week sorry that jesus is god and man um one person and, and- and two natures
0: incarnation
1: the incarnation <clears throat> born of a virgin and god, true man. jesus
0: is fully human
1: fully human fully god i think we have to affirm those things to uh know that we are truly saved as human um that you know what are other essentials the spirit is god um, the spirit has been given to us uh who have believed because we are adopted as sons and heirs um and i can't yeah you know, talk to fred sanders or talk to sanjay <laughs> about the trinity but uh well that's
0: a good idea i should have fred sanders on you should he, he's another trinity guy he wouldn't well, remember me i we knew each other one time but he wouldn't remember me from adam
1: he is excellent um and i'm just that would be great if you could talk to him about the trinity um then that, you know, we are created in God's image, um, that we are, you know, his, his creation, uh, made for him. I think if you don't think that you're responsible to God, you're not getting anywhere, um, as, as his, we're made, we're made for him to enjoy and love him forever. I mean, I think that's essential to affirm, um, that, that our good is found in God. That's, I guess what I'm saying,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and in in worshiping him and that we're broken, that we sinned, you know, uh original sin or just that you are a sinner, either way. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we just have to affirm that we're sinners. That's the fact.
0: We need uh, a savior,
1: that we need a savior, <coughs> and we That's have to true. affirm that that salvation and our atonement for our sins is provided by Christ's work, um, and the righteousness that we need to be in relationship with an all-holy God, we can't provide for ourselves that that has to come from christ and his perfect record not ours um i think the great high priesthood of the son is important
0: through the his resurrection death, right? the atonement was through his death and resurrection how there is
1: yeah it's, it's, his atonement was through his death i mean there's a debate going on right now i guess in our
0: sta- in our place or
1: yeah <clears throat> okay. that he paid the debt that we owed to satisfy justice um i mean i know there's many theories of atonement but
0: yeah, yeah sure i well, don't think
1: that necessarily you have to have it totally hashed out in order to be
0: <laughs> there's not an exam when you get to heaven uh an essay exam on the uh, the atonement
1: well i mean as you're you know it's jesus like, your say can you ask a four-year-old yes yeah. yes right right i think
0: or I, I mean, efficient. not even a, not even a four-year-old is someone who just spent two years battling cancer and doesn't, you know, it's not up to speed on the aton- theories of the atonement, you know, not after, up to speed. after chemotherapy,
1: right. You trust, um, you trust yeah. in Christ for your, it would be an
0: odd picture of God. Uh, you know, you get to, you get up there and, and an angel says, Oh, hold, hold on. Hold on a second. Go on. You got an exam you got on the atonement Penal here.
1: substitution or what do we, I mean, let me know, you know, this you're not getting in unless you have the right answer check,
0: check, check. there's a lot there what we're saying there there's a lot about god um
3: that we yeah. sometimes
0: the way we talk about these essentials is as if it's heaven is some kind of bureaucracy and there's a form you fill out when you get up there oh, gosh. and you know there's a government form and you know it's, it's like form. it's like d e uh 29a, you have 29d, but it was revised in 2014. Um, gosh. it was revised. You do, you, do you remember when the gender stuff came up and you're like, you're in heaven and they're talking about the gender stuff? And you're like, oh man, oh I'm no, screwed. oh I no, I'm screwed.
1: I, I wasn't, I didn't pay, t- I don't, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. And yeah. uh, we, we, gosh, I'm glad that's not how it's going to be, but uh, but yeah. there is a, there is a resurrected. Great High Priest who has ascended and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, and so you know it's His living righteousness that's so. I think we have to affirm that as a living, resurrected righteousness. I mean that's what we're celebrating this Easter as believers. That
0: you know it's interesting you say Jesus prays for us is basically what you just said. Yeah, and right. Jesus is God, and so you're saying God prays for us.
1: That's right. To God, to the Father,
0: to. An and, atheist might be listening to this and, and thinking what <laughs> this sounds really weird. Um, okay. If God uh, yeah. is praying to himself for you. What in the world? Why don't you just go chill out and take a break then? I mean, go play some <laughs> video games then, you know,
1: right. Part of God dealing with, you know, the problem that we created sin.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and he, he is, I mean, the old Testament when he gives the 10 commandments and the law, I mean, he's not, it's not equivocating. He says, you, you have to be holy for us to have a a, a relationship of fellowship. And that was, that was the truth. And because they couldn't do it, he, he mercifully gave them the tabernacle and the sacrificial system so that they could be meanwhile reconciled while they waited for the ultimate mm-hmm. lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And, you know, Right. That's still the case. God has to be wrathful towards sin. And so if we're not for the, the, the righteousness of Christ and his intercession and his atoning death. I mean, we would be objects of wrath. We, we would remain objects of wrath, but we're mm-hmm. not. We're adopted as sons um, through faith in what Christ has done. And that, that's the great good news. That's the gospel. Um,
0: All of this comes from the Bible. Uh, is that yeah. one of the essentials?
1: The Bible, yep yeah, you have to you have to affirm that God's re- God has revealed Himself in Scripture, and that it is what He says it is. God breathed, um, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, and and take Him at His word. I mean, it's such a it, it's a simple and yet utterly profound, endlessly able to be explored intellectually idea that god yeah. has breathed out the scriptures um through humans no less inspired you know um and
0: you, you said divine and- inspiration you said god breathed is it do you think it's inerrant how would you say that
1: yes it's not not to drag
0: inerrant. you through all of the uh the, the all 1900s all the but you know
1: no i mean that's really important in it and it's a yeah. an extremely relevant question um does the does the do the scriptures err, err, mm-hmm. E-R-R, um, right. in what they assert? And so I think a lot of times the, the idea of inerrancy is sort of this label that's been slapped onto scripture. And sometimes, mm, sometimes in a not very thoughtful way, because of course, scripture is full of variety of genres. Right. And, that's you know, true. poetry, history, um, yeah, law, command. So, you know, if I were to say, uh some people
0: some some pastors say it's an instruction manual for life but that's actually kind of a weird way of of describing what the bible actually is because when you get something from amazon that you need to put together for example i mean even this microphone i had to put a couple things together i had to put the base together well there was actually an instruction manual and and it was it was um it was a set of uh commands Yes. And commands, as you know, are not true or false. You've studied the philosophy of language right, right. and, you know, the basic. Right. Uh, some people have to slow way down before they go. Wait, hold on. A command is not true or false. Right. Is that, right. Is that saying that God, when you say do not murder, I can say that's not false. That's not true. <laughs> right. Well, you could say it's not true because it doesn't have any truth value. It's just a command. A stop sign doesn't have any truth value. Right. It's just telling you, you know, when your mom tells you to stop picking your nose, you could right. say, well, that's not true. <laughs> but it but, wouldn't be the right kind of it's response not the point right yeah, so or if you um, were to
1: express hey i feel you know oh no and someone says that's not true you'd say yeah.
0: what yeah right no i was just expressing a,
1: oh no you know what or if you're that's in a courtroom
0: motion. and they say all rise you you could say at that point that's not actually n- that's actually not true bailiff <laughs> right
1: but that would be <laughs> the wrong way right it would, it it right.
0: would be inappropriate though it, um,
1: it doesn't match the kind of, we're talking yeah. about now, the kind of genre or the kind of speech act, right. Yeah, yeah. That is in the scriptures. And so, yeah. so that label inerrant, you can see how, if you equate it to true or not true, you immediately run into problems when you give it even a little bit of thought, mm-hmm. um, because not everything can be labeled that way.
2: Yeah. But
1: yeah. if you, try, if you step back and you say, well, you know, back to all scriptures, God breathe and useful for correcting, rebuking, training, um, the man of God may be equipped then you're you're seeing the scriptures doing something when all language is doing something, like you said, giving a command, expressing an emotion, reporting a fact. I mean, we could go on then you can say, well what is is the thing that the speech act is doing? Is it erring in any way in its delivery or its expression so and some things would be true or false, like if you said... Uh, I'm reporting a historical fact, and that could be judged as either true or false. That's either did happen or didn't happen. Okay. But say God is giving a command, we could say, as a we could ask ourselves as a speaker, did He give that command adequately, or perfectly, or uh, with good judgment, or? Uh, in line with the, the universe or his character. And we would always say, because he's God, well, he did everything perfectly. Right. So, I mean, I think one uh, a more useful way maybe to talk about inerrancy would be to talk about scripture being given inerrantly as an adverb oh. that everything God has done in scripture, whether he's expressed an emotion, which he does in scripture about himself or other people. Um, whether he's expressed a command, whether he's, um, given us a historical report or whether he's given us a parable or, you know, any of these things, uh, an exhortation, Mm -hmm. uh, description, he's done it perfectly as a speaker. He's done it perfectly. And if there is any confusion or uh, a lack of, uh, perception or comprehension, um, on the part of us, the readers, it's not God's fault, right? That's not where the error lies. Right. it's it's god's done everything he's done perfectly so we have to ask ourselves what is this speech act or genre right, right doing right, right and we have to affirm that if it's god who spoke it then he's done it perfectly which means he doesn't lie he doesn't mislead he speaks true about the world mm-hmm. he d- describes things accurately i mean Right. it is more useful to think adverbially i think about the okay. idea of inerrancy inerrant lee inerrance, inerrance, i mean now
0: now the question of whether that it, that makes perfect sense uh the question of whether the bible now uh, you know true well let me first say this really quick just because i don't want people to think that i i'm not aware of the uh the issue of inerrancy, especially in the 1900s with the foundation of like Denver Seminary where I'm a graduate and Biola, inerrancy was a big deal.
3: Yeah.
0: And it still is to some people there. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I, I don't mean that as a, a criticism. I mean that as a description. Yeah. Uh, typically the way inerrancy is. is um,
1: Defined. More,
0: defined as it's it's inerrant in everything the bible teaches so in other words if the bible is teaching something then it would be inerrant but see the question about given inerrantly um i like the way you did it the adverbial way uh raises the question of where we where we started which is is the way the bible is now is it does it reflect that perfection
1: like through um, translation
0: yeah just uh mean, it, and and trans- do we have the, do we have the right books uh there goes back the question of canon right. were right. the are those books the way they really were when were god gave the them time. right well so let's say you have the, then it's a question of do we have the right books and then those are books are those the right transmitted uh, to
1: us accurately
0: yeah and so what you're saying is <laughs> um is that a historical question? Then is that a how? How it's do you? It's both get
1: theological and historical, and probably other things too. But mm-hmm. first, I mean, I think you have to. Um,
0: Did you encounter I, anything in your studies at Notre Dame that would a lot would lead you to think that we have uh, we should have some deep text. concerns about whether the Bible is legit?
1: No, I mean, I guess I was surprised at some points to realize i mean new testament scholars are really you can really speak to this um because i'm more like an early christian person than new testament but i mean the good news so you're, is you're a, a two there.
0: centuries later how, how what what's the well, I think new, testament, new testament is early church but but they is, are you mean they usually
1: they usually stay with like the first century right so you and, mean the
0: second century out
1: uh, early church?
0: what's early church
1: early church would be anything from the first century all the way up to like maybe benedict right um maybe what, when was benedict, benedict is really the beginning of the middle ages um, okay when
0: was that when was benedict 580s okay so you're talking the end no, of the roman empire the roman empire is officially <laughs> toast
1: yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. i think gotcha. people typically augustine you know sometimes people in the middle ages want to take him medieval studies and sometimes early christianity wants to take him. Re-
0: review your history people review your history so right. you can follow us. Yeah when yeah. did the roman empire become officially toast it's kind of oh. hard to draw the line exactly but
1: how many times was it sacked um so yeah. okay so what i was going to say was that the is the text corrupted mm-hmm. well the good thing is i mean the bible since it's so contested so many things are out there that like anyone can look up you know people have put fragments early fragments up and you can go and look at this stuff up for yourself it's not like hidden anywhere um no one's trying to like keep people in the dark and while there are textual variants absolutely um there's nothing so monumental that it would change the basics of the faith um there's nothing like that and
0: can you give an example of uh, the type of variant you might be talking about Like a spelling, or
1: like there's lots of spelling variants. Um, people change the names of places based on like how familiar they were with the geography or whether they thought it was like an error of the former scribe. They might come along to like correct that. Um, the example of the woman caught in adultery is pretty famous. That didn't really right, right, here in the earliest manuscripts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it appears at the end of like a gosh, I'm gonna get this wrong, but it's either at the end of a, a copy of Luke or a copy of Mark. Um, which to me actually speaks to its authenticity, meaning that like people had it in circulation. It was so much in circulation that it was at the end of this totally other gospel. Mm -hmm. And then people knew the story, obviously. And then eventually it was put back into John, you know, where someone came along and said, "Yeah, I think it belongs back here in this Mm -hmm. book. Um, Yeah. yeah like they talked to John or something and, and they said, "Where does that's probably
0: that's probably the most radical example, I would say, wouldn't you say the yeah, the probably. issue of the the woman caught in adultery and John. Right.
1: Yeah. And there, then there's the a passage.
0: Mark. It's like a, it's a handful of verses. It's not very long.
1: Right. And um, then there's the end of Mark, which is not in the earliest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, I, I would defer to New Testament scholars on like the number of variants. Yeah. Um, but okay. So the end of Mark says, basically leaves the women at the tomb, right? Wondering where Jesus is. And, uh, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, um, you know, if I were writing a literary piece and I wanted people to ask more questions about Jesus and where he was, I might also leave it off at, and the, Jesus wasn't there and the women didn't know where he was. And then you would say, I must find out, like, what did they find out? What did they know? You know, I don't know. Maybe like as a a literary method, you leave that off. And but in any case, yeah, the other gospels, you know, like come and see, like come find out. Jesus did the same thing with his parables. He left them sort of mysterious in order that people (laughs) would come to him.
2: Right, right, right. And
1: have the opportunity to pursue him in love. Like, right? Okay. If you don't really care about <laughs> Jesus, you'll leave. And yeah. if you really want to understand Jesus, you'll come and ask him. And every single time he always gave an answer. Uh, because hmm. he, he he was trying to open up a space for people to pursue and to love, which brings them greater joy than just getting the answer given to them. You know, like teaching students makes sense. If you give right. them the answer, do they appreciate it as much as if they had to work a little bit and pursue their knowledge? Um, anyway, so then the texts, uh, -hmm. the other thing I was going to say is back to the liturgy piece and the fact that people very early on in community were reading these books. Um, as I was saying earlier, there's just not an opportunity for major changes to theological points to be made. Um, the community owned the message and, you know, people have done this before, but they've compared this to the star Wars canon, right? Right. Which, when Disney took it over and started doing all these new things, all the Star Wars fans who owned the message and you know the true Star Wars story were outraged and raised yeah. a big stink about the changes. Yeah, <laughs> been made to the Star Wars truth, you know. I ah. don't even
0: like. I don't even watch the, the later ones.
1: Right. Yeah, because they're yeah. you know they've been changed. But this in this in a similar way, right? This these things were not hidden. It, it's not like anybody right. come along and. Bishops could get together and be like, "Oh, and now we're going to make Jesus divine."
0: So you got a little dig against Gnosticism in there. Yeah. In case anybody n- needs to know what Gnosticism it was, it was a and a pretty early, like I think what second century movement. Very early. Emphasize um, secret knowledge.
1: Yeah. Secret knowledge, right? Um, beware of people who say they have secret knowledge, yeah. um, especially in the, in regards to the faith. Actually, one of the the biggest, I mean, the biggest the biggest <laughs> problems immediately rose around what belonged to, to scripture. And one of the first debates was whether the old Testament belonged with the new and
0: that's right. A
1: guy named Martin, You gotta, you gotta,
0: along. you gotta decide that <laughs> right, right away,
1: away. <laughs> you know, and Martin came along. Wow. Actually, there's a, there's an iteration of this going around right now in Christian circles. Martin came along and said, look, the old Testament God is vengeful, not nice. Can't possibly be the father of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is forgiving and loving. So listen, we're just, that wasn't even, that was a, that was a dim I urge. That was something else. That was some creator God and, uh, Jesus revealed the the real father, the real, the real God. And, uh, so listen, my books, my Bible called Bible yet will be some, you know, the new Testament and some of the letters of Paul and that's it, you know, mm-hmm. and that was a, that was a real moment for the church to say, well, wait a second, you know, heresies are really, really useful for the church t- having to rally and wrestle with what's mm-hmm. true um and this is why debate's always good because even a if a
0: huge thing you just said
1: debate is always
2: good
0: debate is always good a lot of christians don't get that i i never got that as a kid yeah i i, I was always taught debate is not good you, yeah. you got it you just you just believe whatever they tell you
1: You got to understand why you believe it; otherwise, you're far more prey. I I
0: would think so. Yeah. Weird
1: ideas. You got to
0: have it explained to you, and 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 your questions. You can't. You shouldn't be shamed for having questions.
1: Especially kids. Especially
0: you should should let the kid ask the question if they're really interested in it.
1: And and let them doubt and wrestle and.
0: You use the word heresy. That's an interesting concept.
1: I what's a what's, I just,
0: a, what's a heresy? I mean, a heresy is an, uh, is a deviation from,
1: from orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So right. Belief. Um, you know,
0: how do you, but how do you, the how way do you, you
1: determine what's orthodoxy and what's heresy?
0: Yeah. The, how <clears> do <throat> standard. you, the, the <laughs> issue of heresy is not going away. It's, it's been the same for a long time. I mean, even yeah. progressives that, that think, they have kind of an inside angle on, uh, the, the cutting edge and I'm talking about Christians. People mm-hmm. that think they're Christians. Like we rent, uh, ch- um, our church, uh, rents from the first Methodist church. Uh-huh. And so it's just an interesting watching the first Methodists, you know, and, and us, and we have our differences. We right. haven't had a discussion about what those differences right. are, but, right. but I think that they would think of themselves as kind of having an inside view. Yeah. True? Like we're kind of crusty conservative. They, they keep us right. around because we serve the homeless. And so they That's, like, they like that, but they right. don't, Yeah, they have, they, they think we're, um we we need to catch up on issues of of marriage and gender being redefined sure. maybe i mean i'm not i i don't know what they would say but
1: right. i mean i think there's a fallacy of the new or i think there's a technical term for this but just thinking that because it's new uh-huh. it must be better or must be progress
0: yeah Where, i think c.s lewis came up with something like that chronological snobbery because yeah. we're now then we're better or something
1: right i mean protestants are very guilty of it as a as a whole tribe right but uh it's not really surprising that are are you Catholic now? No, no, I'm not. I'm still Protestant. That's where God put me to begin. And that's where I'll stay. I have a (laughs) great respect for Catholic theology. Um, you're, you're
0: employed by a Catholic university, right?
1: Well, I mean, yes, in a small way employed. Um, I think that was part of the humility I was talking about. I gained through study is that, well, gosh, my tradition doesn't know everything. And wow, there's so much stuff I could gain and learn from the wisdom of all these Christians who've come before me. Are Um, the
0: Catholics wrong about anything you think?
1: Well, I disagree with Catholics about Pope, the Pope, Mm uh, the infallibility of the Pope, um, some of the late Marian doctrines, not for me. Um, and because of my interest in scripture, you know, while I really respect tradition with a capital T, I don't take it on the same level as scripture. Um, and so those are probably my three sticking points. Um, but many, you're, many. You're,
0: th- this is just stuff you just came up with right now. And you're just like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of sloppy. This is just me with a PhD from a Catholic university coming up with this. In theology. <laughs> coming up with what? The In with theology.
1: That, that I don't agree but with. But
0: th- I've never thought about it before this. But you know, I'm, I'm kidding. But oh. like, <laughs> the idea that you. Right, right some people might be listening to this and be like she just came up with that no 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 she she has a phd from a catholic school and she's thought a little bit about this like a little bit probably have come to a point where did you have catholic professors
1: oh yeah i mean yeah, i think yeah, yeah. most. See, of you had them to were. kind
0: of figure out wait am i one of those
1: yeah and i you know if it weren't for those things i'd probably you know what they say come home um <laughs> yeah. but uh but you know i can't it's more about my own conscience, I guess. And I, and I have so many oh. fellow believers who are, who are Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, good brothers and sisters. Um, I just and, deeply respect and admire. And they're big ways. fans
0: of conscience. Yeah. And, nowadays.
1: Oh. Yeah. And their faith is, I mean, I, I look at my own face sometimes and think it's just so weak and poor compared to that held by many of my, my mm-hmm. Catholic friends. So me,
0: me too. I feel the yeah. same way.
1: So, uh, where was I going with that? But, uh, I'm not, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not part of the, I'm not Catholic. Um, but gosh, there's so many things to learn.
0: Can, from. We, we, someone listening to this in the future might be thinking, I've heard gendered language come out of your mouth about God. You've said the son were set. You said we're sons of God. You said oh, right. Jesus Christ is a man,
1: right. Um,
0: yeah. you, you, you've called God, he, um, and you appear to be a woman to me.
1: I am a woman.
0: You are a woman.
1: I'm a you're woman. One,
0: you're one of the real ones, right? <laughs> I've heard I'm of those. Real <laughs> no, I, I heard of those. I, you know, I, you know,
1: like my, my kids call me big mom. So I bet that's the biggest affirmation of my <laughs> womanhood that I, that I
0: <laughs> now, were you when you were going through your PhD and stuff? Well, I mean, not just through your PhD, but just you know, every all the stuff you've read and thought about, yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm not even sure which question I'm asking. I'm not, asking. No, I, I'm not I, I think I have multiple questions, and I was trying to right. actually squ-
1: squeeze uh, them into one,
0: push them into <laughs> one question, and that's why it was going to sound ridiculous, but I so guess. That- let me God let me just, individuate a question, I guess. But you know, okay. go ahead. Why don't you go ahead? I mean, and
1: say. God describes Himself as a Father and the Son <clears throat> and the Spirit, uh, and I have no problem with that. That's fine. And <clears throat> can, I, can, uh, I, can I
0: can I say something there? Um, sure. Let Let me pretend to be someone skeptical. Okay. Um, you said God describes Himself that way but you're talking about um, probably in a book in the Bible that maybe even be named after a man like Mark or something.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: Um, so how do we know that it's not Mark that's describing God that way? Or, I mean, I mean I'm just picking Mark. I'm not, right. I'm actually not right. thinking of any passage in Mark yeah. specifically, but so
1: you're asking whether like the biases of the writers influence them to describe yeah. God their own fashion.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, if you believe that the scriptures are merely a human production, then sure. Yeah. I mean, why that could be totally the case. If you affirm that it's divine inspiration, you can't really say that you have to say like God put what he meant and that his meaning stands behind these words. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, but I also don't feel put down in any way as a woman, Because Genesis one twenty seven says that male and female he made humans in his image, and so it's not as if femaleness is somehow less in God's image. I mean, the source of femaleness and the source of maleness is God Himself, and that brings great dignity to males and to females. Um, I'm not saying it is striking.
0: It is striking that Genesis says that so early on, right in the beginning. Right in so, the beginning,
2: and, so, and this or, is an
0: ancient world, right? This is the ancient world that produced Genesis. I mean, yeah. even on our view, which says that God uh, was ultimately behind this, but it's right. still the human story, the human part of that story, where mm-hmm. God, how did you put it, inherently perfectly provided scripture to those humans living back then yeah that produced Genesis and then also transmitted it to us. Right. Um, Thank you, ancient humans, for that. Um, They they thought back then, if you know anything about ancient culture, a little different than ours. Um, Yeah. You know, you're you you uh, they they thought we're going to that that's in there (laughs) early on. Femaleness
1: is in the image of that.
0: Yeah. And it's it's it is striking to me. It's striking.
1: It's it is very striking. It very much exalts women alongside with men, and the, the
0: daughters are not mentioned. Uh, like Adam Eve's daughters, it's just it's the sons that are mentioned. You also can't really. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to even mention the Eve sinning before Adam. I, I don't. I don't think that that's significant that much. Uh, some people seem to have thought that was significant in human history. I'd, I've never been impressed by that. Well, I mean, I, yeah. to me, I think that you could have switched those roles easily. I don't know, but, but it seems like they had kind of like a, in, in the garden of Eden, they had kind of an egalitarian um, relationship.
1: I um, mean, there's, yeah, yeah, as far I as don't like know. what they're doing in the garden, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking about what I say exactly about this, but
2: okay,
1: I think my main, my main takeaway from Genesis is that there's no inequality between them indicated, especially in Genesis 1:27. Um, but there is a great coming together uh, when you put them as a pair. For example, what do you have? Like, so if you really are saying maleness, femaleness, in the image of God, well, there it's right. it's just a distinction that's made. But when you put them together, well, then you have a, a reflection of God, holy. In, incomplete right mm-hmm. uh, maleness doesn't encapsulate everything that is to be god and neither does femaleness which i think i think this is just what i think maybe someone else could add more to this or disagree that when god creates marriage why does he say between a male and a female well listen it's it's supposed to be a reflection of the coming together of god's God himself. The the nature of God is reflected in in a marriage, in a a completeness that you wouldn't otherwise have. And in fact, it's a great opportunity to learn something about God himself when you marry the opposite gender and you have to work through the difficulties of this other. (laughs) I mean, gosh, any of us who are married will be like, oh, I don't really understand you all the time. But But what an opportunity. I mean, I think there's a theological reason, a a theological goodness that has to do with us knowing God himself. Right. When we enter a marriage or even, you know, if we're unmarried, we spend time with the opposite gender. Well, there's an aspect of God's image that you don't reflect.
0: Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, there's an aspect of God's image that we do not reflect
1: that we as individuals don't reflect and we have a, as
0: individuals yeah
1: an opportunity in the other gender to learn something about that i mean that's that's not something again i could prove mm-hmm. uh in, in, scientifically um but it is something that i think brings more weight to the conversation and it doesn't just make it god's arbitrary thing that he says that marriage <sighs> is a man and a woman it's actually about our our discovery of of god himself and our our pursuit of knowing him and loving him, you know, and, and well, so what if
0: I, so I could t- to take that, let's say I'm a, one of these progressive people that call myself progressive just because I like the word and I want to kind of bias everybody toward yeah. my beliefs and my words. Let's say that um, um, I actually think calling someone, calling yourself a progressive is actually kind of uh, it, it's, it's like passive aggressive a little bit. <laughs> Well, it's um, like, oh, right. Maybe yeah. It seems it's just like, like a calling backhanded. yourself an act. You're an accurate person, <laughs> or something. Sure. You know? sure. I might my. my right. You don't understand my my beliefs are accurate. Sure. Well, anyway, um, but uh,
1: back to that heresy and orthodoxy thing.
0: Females, like, okay, so the females. Does it bother you that it doesn't like say it's, it says okay? There's Cain and Abel. and There's Seth. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mention any of the daughters, and a lot of the daughters don't get named let like me in the, in the so what in the ancient world, does that bother you yeah does, i mean does it, does it, does it say, would
1: bother me more i guess except for the new testament and i mean of course that's after the fall so immediately we get human culture and and you know uh, most, most of human culture after the fall okay prioritizing of so you,
0: know, you think the fall. fall has a lot to do with the 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 genealogies being only male
1: i mean maybe or not probably. only
0: they're not only male because rahab is mentioned and
1: well, I mean, that's the interesting thing about the genealogy of Christ is, yeah. is that they start to incorporate very prominently women, and it's mm-hmm. you know, and the Old Testament will still include mention of people's mothers and and whatnot, but I I mean, sure. have women had the same experience as men throughout history? Absolutely not. I mean, I mean, that's just sort of like obvious the way I'm looking at it. But then when we get to the New Testament and say in Galatians and Paul's talking about listen, you are all sons and heirs. He means that, and it's not supposed to be, uh, you know, down on women, like when he leaves out daughters, his point is, listen, the sons receive the inheritance. The sons have the status. That's just how it was. And to call all of the children of God's sons is a great exaltation of women. And to say, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving you out. Like I'm making you an heir, you know, when you're, when I call you a son, ladies, that means you have the same status as right. any other heir, you know, and that was just and like radical. That was totally radical to call women sons, but yeah. Made, and then
0: and the men are now identified as the body of the church, which is right. <laughs> yeah. That's a female <laughs> word or a feminine right. word. I don't know how I, the gender and- ecclesia is, is in the, the gen. It, the gender is, of that uh, word is feminine,
1: female, yeah. Female gendered. And And none of that. So what gender bending in the new Testament it's um, is it's, it's not, it's not bad for us to, to think of ourselves outside of that. I think we're like sort of meant to back to the point about God being the source of maleness and femaleness, you, like yeah. understanding yourself as a bride, even as a man teaches you something about God and it, it, you don't like run away from that. You embrace it or to understand yourself as a son, as a woman teaches you something about God and teaches you about his heart towards you. Um, and what, uh,
0: what you said that females, uh, uh, there's an aspect of, of the image of God that, um, that women, fema- females have that men don't have, what would that be? That. You think,
1: I mean, here you, you get and into, does, spirit, do, and I does think. that
0: mean that I can say that God is female in some way? Can I use gendered? Female language for god
1: i wouldn't go so far as to do that because he doesn't do that but i would say that the source there's no other source of femaleness but god and so that's a good that is yes i mean i mean to say that god is a man uh is not staying it correctly um unless you're talking about the idea that jesus was human but it right, was right, right. fall short of who God is to say that he's male that doesn't it doesn't encompass everything that God is <laughs> so you see Christ weeping with Mary and you see Christ longing to gather up the inhabitants of Jerusalem as a hen gathers yeah. up her chicks. Matthew yeah yeah and so you know all of these I mean stereotypically this idea of bearing um I can't remember it, but I have this feeling of some early father that I read, maybe it was Ephraim, who was a poet, talked about Christ bearing children. And, you know, and the idea that he he brought about the new adoption of all of us, you know, into the family of God. And he, do, he does, in that sense, have like a, a bearing role, right, through his death and through his pain. So... I mean, no, God's
0: not a woman. I'm going to say that. Is um, there a way? So, is there um, a way we can articulate what the masculine pronoun means beyond he uses it, and and we can imitate that? Is there a? Can we comprehend a reason why he uses it of himself? Is there why? something that it teaches us about God? I think a lot of the critics of Christianity would say it does teach us something about God. It's, 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 um, but it comes from these conservative bastards that make the world such a bad place or something like that.
1: Unfortunate. Right. Um, just in general. And 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 there's enough
0: truth. (laughs) There's enough truth to these, the bastards that we all are. I mean, maybe I should use a different word bastard. Um, (laughs) case somebody that's, that's tracking right. with the actual meaning of the term bastard right, uh, right. just jerks yeah, buttheads butt you know
1: that's true we can idiots. be like that I mean there's, when a, God, there's a lot
0: of idiots in history and, and a lot of them are be, men
1: right. right and here I am being an idiot that you know any time during the week that you have maybe defended.
0: even most idiots are men I don't even know probably I don't
1: know. Maybe, maybe i don't know i won't even I won't even touch that 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 question <laughs> that comment men
0: when have god made a lot him, of decisions in history that have caused a lot of suffering
1: yeah how would it have been different who knows no one is told what would have happened um right So that's right um so when god calls himself a father i think that's for a purpose um it becomes hard for a lot of people to comprehend you know, because listen, the, the word father is going to be immediately associated in anyone's mind with their own father and, and how he was, um, mm-hmm. and how he wasn't. And so a-
0: absent disciplinarian.
1: Sure.
0: It seems uh, like, but isn't there a concept of father that should be the case? Like it's like, right. in other words, God, if God is presenting himself as father, like right. God, the father, in other words, Jesus, the son is not pre- presenting himself as God, the father. Exactly.
1: Right, and I think a lot of that right. has to do with like the things in the Creed about his creative work, his authority um yeah. you say like a father, um many of us associate a father and understand a father to be to be uh providing for his family, um sustaining right, so like God sustains all things, um creating space mm-hmm. for them, provision for them, okay. uh, rules for them. Um, protective authority, right? So a lot of times we have this negative sense around authority because people misused it in our lives, but authority is actually really good for us and, uh, allows us to have true freedom, you know? So if I allow my kids to play in the street, I mean, like that's freedom, but it's actually destruction because people whip down our road going 60 miles an hour. Well, then I just destroyed them for the sake of quote freedom, you know, not real freedom. Right. So, me putting up a fence and telling them that they can't do this or that is actually for their flourishing. And I think that when we say God is a father, Mm -hmm. we should think of this kind of thing that God has put and made rules and principles by which we are made to function. Going back to the owner's manual thing, I mean, in that sense, Scripture is the owner's manual. This is how you will work, humans. This is how your societies will work. This is how you will thrive. This is how your marriages will do well. This is how your parenting will do well. And when we walk inside of that, we actually experience the freedom of functioning like we're supposed to. Uh, we flourish, right. Right. and there we go. You know, that's not that's that's the right kind of concept. I think to have a fatherhood and authority and and creating and sustaining. Like he made the system in which we live, and he made the system which is us and how we function psychologically, emotionally. Physically, And when we walk according to his ways, we benefit ourselves in addition to honoring him. And
0: so there's a reason there, there's, there's legit reason be, that can be articulated in human language behind the use of the masculine pronoun he for God that he presents himself that way. It does prompt questions about why, why do we not have a divine mother? Sure. Uh, Why is it father only, not mother? Is there a reason you think for that that it's presented?
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) I don't know that I've really thought in depth about that question. But immediately, that's
0: interesting because between the two of us, one of us is a mother.
1: I know. (laughs) Why is it that not there? I guess not me. There's two things. One, I I do feel comfortable with the idea that I think intuitively. I know that God is, in, in all the good things I associate with motherhood, God mm-hmm. is those things. Like, I don't feel like he's absent from, that. those things aren't absent from him. Okay. And his care, I mean, I'm not stereotyping, but the well, care that he. I don't
0: even know what a stereotype is, to be honest with
1: I, I know. Uh, generalizations. St- st-
0: well, stereotypically, stereotypes are
1: right um, <laughs> they're bad stereotypes
0: us, are bad stereotypically
1: g- gentle um uh these things that mm-hmm. uh, life-giving like those are all things that are not absent from god's descriptions of himself um
0: so all the good things about good mothers are there in god
1: yes i would say so but there's um,
0: some mysterious reason that maybe only god knows that he doesn't model calling us calling him that
1: if we called it would be really 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 easy for humans if god were to call himself father and mother to immediately think there were two gods and Mm -hmm. of course in the ancient world there's so many like fertility couples yeah that
0: i mean i think that's insightful
1: you're you know you start saying uh, she and he well humans i'm not even sure they can really have a category for that i mean mm-hmm. maybe without immediately thinking that there's this you know yeah parallel to all these other babylonian couples and pagan yeah.
0: polytheism
1: yeah mm-hmm. and
0: yeah there's a lot of baggage from from the ancient world on that yeah
1: yeah i don't and I just don't think that would be accurate to his character. I mean, he's just one. He's he's not.
0: The Trinity know. gives us enough problems. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad problems. way. It's just it just it is a little bit of a yeah some work actually. The I, I'll I'll plug Sanjay's uh, episode because I thought he really did a fantastic job talking about the Trinity. At least getting the ball going.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he did. I mean that. I mean it's a it, it's a to to get into why does God not use um feminine mm-hmm. pronouns for himself.
0: Or very but, and and very rarely uh obvious feminine female um analogies like the hen one is one of those yeah. few ones that you'll find. It, it, that, yeah. That's in Matthew. It's in late Matthew. I think it's 23 or something. Right. Like 24. Right. Maybe.
1: Or you know, sen- um sometimes we associate like emotional expression or sensitivity with women. Um Jesus certainly exhibits that he cries. Um and with with women specifically, um, which you know most I think you think about men like doing that it seems pretty atypical, but I think
0: I'm gonna cry after this. <laughs> not gonna cry during <laughs> it, but I'll cry later. I'll I film cry. I'll tell you what, I'll film it and prove it to you.
1: Okay, great that 's probably really healthy, I mean, I feel like uh, tears are a way of self
0: as i as I talk to you, Kara, I feel like you are extremely thoughtful far more you 're in the top two one percent of thoughtful people you thought deeply about this you 've put a lot of hard work in the library and writing and just talking to scholars and being faithful as a as a pursuer of truth. And you don't seem to be bothered by the gender stuff. You're not trying to, you're not constantly going, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, you don't look to the present to figure out what you're supposed to be doing and to have anxiety about what you believe. You look to the past. You look at what you think is authoritative for you. And you yeah. follow very carefully about whether that is authoritative for you.
1: Yes. And, and, you're co- and
0: you're confident. You're sitting there and you look very confident for those who are just listening Kara's, uh, confidently sitting next to these bookcases. Um, and she's got this, uh, very pastel yellow, uh, solid yellow shirt on that reminds me, it reminds me, yes, it it does. It's very spring. It's very Easter. Uh, And she just doesn't look like she's really that worried about this gender stuff. No, is that that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I I think this thought occurs to me and, um, I' just go out there and just maybe speak to women who have been like hurt by men um and you know that happens, and men get hurt by women, not to acknowledge that too oh, yeah. that I think a lot of times it's our pain that most drives what we want to believe and what we we don't um um our anger against wrongs that make us uncomfortable with certain ideas. And when it comes to the scripture, you know, we got to be honest with ourselves that a lot of us bring men and women, but women particularly who I'm talking to, we bring our hurt from men to the table, so to speak, when we read scripture and our, our pain is so present and we can't, we can't accept what God calls himself because of these, these poor experiences we've had with men. And a lot of those experiences have been when men exercise power over us um, and don't respect our boundaries or just are self-focused, self-aggrandizing, self, um, whatever you want to call it. But that's just not our God. That's just not our God. And, and our God, if, if you want to know who our God is, you look to the cross and you look to his sacrifice of himself. For us, and we just have to understand that whatever our experience with men or experiences with our fathers, God defines Himself. And and if you want to 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 ground yourself and start somewhere, you look at the passion and you understand that this is a this is a man who put himself aside for you, right? And that should give you great confidence. That's that's a real man, you know. That's a real man who can who can lay himself down for you to have life. And so, you know, not to, to, to not to dismiss or to belittle any real pain that anyone has had with any man or with a father, if you're a man, but you have to take scripture for what it is. And you have to see that God, that God loves you deeply and sacrifice himself for you. If you're ever to move forward and understand who he really is and to That's be comfortable okay. with Him calling himself a man.
0: That's a wonderful Good Friday sermon. <laughs> do you believe that Jesus really died?
1: He died. He did Do you die. believe
0: that he really resurrected from the dead? And, and I'm saying really, meaning like physically, like, like you're alive right now.
1: Right. Well, if he didn't, then Bi-logical. we above all men are to be pitied.
0: You do right. affirm that. Okay. And you, you don't find anything in your study of church history that would call that into question? Seriously? no Ser- seriously into question i should have said
1: <laughs> no no i mean the apostles nobody can nobody dies for a lie nobody does that i mean you you just
0: e- easter is real huh? easter's based in reality absolutely
1: right um I mean, easter's
0: a big deal then easter's easter... the
1: biggest deal the biggest deal wow and uh And if it it didn't happen, then none of this is real. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then don't believe the scriptures. Don't believe there's such a thing as divine revelation. Don't even believe that God exists, whatever you want. But if you, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then you got to take it all as real and true. And you got to deal with it seriously uh, on its own terms. And wow, so, I mean.
0: Thank you for being so clear about that. I mean, because sometimes people just want to know the answer, like, okay, you know, I've been listening to you for this long. And like, do you even believe Jesus really resurrected from the dead? Sometimes I, that's why I ask those questions that, oh, that yeah. pointed of a way so that someone can go something to hold on to. Maybe they want to go back and listen to what you said again. And they, they, and they know, yeah, you do really think Easter's based in reality. It's not like some just merely human kind of celebration about some vague concept of new life. And it almost (laughs) sounds like, you know, spring, we just are celebrating spring.
3: So
1: pitiful. That would be sad. Um, It is It is sad. Well, it would just be sad for all these people who built their lives on this, but
0: we're all going to die. We're all going to die. So the resurrection, that's kind of a big deal. Like when, when we were talking about the essentials, you, what I loved about your list was you pretty quickly got to uh the Imago Day. And and the way you said Imago Day was very interesting because you the way you described it was the answering the point of it all. Like if I were to ask you, what is the point of it all, Kara?
1: To know and love God forever and yeah, enjoy Him.
0: And it has to do with enjoyment. Yeah. Which is what absolutely. I love about that answer was. Yeah. What is, uh, people just want to know at some point you're going to, you, when you were faced with your own mortality or you realize yeah. you are mortal and you're going to die. Yeah. Um, what is the point of it all? And you have to answer that question. No BS. Right. And you answered it and you said part of the essentials of Christianity is to know and enjoy God. And which, in true. other words, to enjoy your life. Yeah. In God in Christ,
1: right, who you were made for and and and, and that's not a killjoy, he's not making up rules just to to you know opposite have yeah. power no he's trying to he's trying to bring you I mean, when he creates the world, he didn't have to create the world, he did it out of love so that we could know him, you know and mm-hmm. know him through his creation as well I mean he wants to
0: know us that's. That's sometimes that just strikes me as odd. Like why would God want to know us? I don't understand that. Sometimes.
1: But he wants us to know him too. <laughs> yeah. And right. I but, mean, but still it, that
0: se- it seems like if you're God, then why do you care about that?
1: Right. Well, if you're a Trinity like to be
0: God, I don't know.
1: I mean, if you're a Trinity, then, then you, you know, the joy of relationship, right? Like if the Christian God is a God of a relationship, that's what
0: Sanjay said, yeah.
1: Right. And so if you don't, if, if it's not a, a God of relationship, like you really won't understand the impulse to create or to create things in your image, to bring them to know you, or to even die on the cross once you've fallen away so that you can come back into the relationship of the Trinity, the love of the Trinity. And, but if you affirm the Trinity, then you're like, oh yeah, well this, of course, like this is the God that we serve. He's a relational God. He, he wants us to know and to love and to enjoy and have fellowship and harmony with, I mean, there'll be a wedding feast, right? Then fellowship. Um, laughter, joy, and a new heaven and a new earth. I take great comfort in that. Me um, too.
0: I'm just, so glad that's the last part of the Bible because yes. man, I'm oh, just God. so glad that there wasn't like an after, like, like John got really tired. You know, yeah, it's like oh, I'll get to those a couple chapters later.
1: Later, right? No, and then
0: you know, he has a heart attack, and then
1: yeah, nope. God was sovereign. He made sure that was there. <laughs>
0: yeah. You are nope. going to get those last chapters in there. You will John.
1: write those down. I mean, just such a, such a beautiful hope for the, the Christian, you know, that, um, yeah. yeah, things are messed up right now, but this isn't the end, you know, and, uh, all those things that we've lost, um, we all know what they are in our own hearts, our own circles, our communities, uh, God will make all things new. And gosh, it's just whatever bad things are going you on in like the world. You, really
0: believe that. you seem like you really believe that.
1: Absolutely. I believe, <laughs> I don't think I could live if I didn't believe that. I think I would just collapse in despair because there's so many terrible things that are happening constantly. I mean, even in my own heart, you know, gosh, save me from myself. Um, when I, once again lose my temper, or once again cannot be patient, or you know, whatever thing I'm entangled in. And uh this this new heaven and this new earth that one day we will enjoy without the sin that that the sin that entangles us and do the brokenness and
0: do you believe that hell exists?
1: Yes, I do. What um, about
0: people that, that their loved ones went to hell? Are well, they gonna What's, I mean, how can they enjoy the new heavens and the new earth?
1: Yeah. I mean, from our perspective right now, seems impossible, especially if it's a child or a parent, someone that's been so close to us, yeah. I think.
0: I mean, do we just get up there and we're just like, our hearts are like sealed, like kind of like almost in the mafia when you kill somebody and then no your honor. heart is hardened. Then yeah. you just kinda, Are you just kind of like, they're dead to me? Right. I, <laughs> I
1: don't sorry.
0: I don't know how, how else to understand it. I don't understand why why that wouldn't just devastate you and destroy you if, right. if your loved one is in hell.
1: Right. I think I I don't know either. And, and at this point I'm just speculating. I'm like, how will our hearts work? Um my intuition is that mm-hmm. we'll have such clear vision and such an understanding of the gravity of sin and the choices that people made themselves to reject God that we will agree with the justice. And I mean, I don't know that we won't feel sad. Um, I don't, I don't know that we won't feel sad for that loss, or if we'll just, just know that this was, this was just, and it's what they chose. Um, seems I think like you that, have
0: to say that. Yeah. You, that's the only way that makes sense. Yeah. Is if you somehow come to see that that's what they wanted
1: that's what they wanted. Yep. Um, I don't think that hell is something God necessarily inflicts on people. It's something they kind of choose their whole life. And, um, I don't hell. if, if, if heaven, if bliss, if the new heaven and the new earth is fellowship with God and being known and knowing, then hell would be the opposite. Um, but you know, it's not overriding choice. It would be, you know, I I spent my whole life running from God and and not wanting Him and not wanting to to know His ways, and that would sort of be the logical conclusion. It's just being ignored ultimately in the end, and not knowing God and not experiencing the joy of His love, um, and His His pleasure. And so,
0: what a note to end on.
1: <laughs> like, that sounds so sad. Hell.
0: I I go back to Good Friday. Go back to your Good Friday sermon.
1: That's right. That's (laughs) right. Because the fact is that you know Christ has overcome, and so there's there's no today. As long as today, as long as it is called today, you know, come to the Lord and you know experience the joy of salvation, and you know for all of us who like slogging through the mire, you know, restore to us the joy of our salvation and. And just remember what God has done for us on the, on the cross and his triumph in the resurrection, the empty tomb. He has risen. I mean, I'm saying that early, but I'm not actually supposed to say that right yet liturgically. Right.
0: Do you like <laughs> hymns?
1: I love hymns. Um, I love some more than others. And I can't say that. I know all the hymns because man, sometimes you pull those hymn books out and you're like, wait, there's that many. And
0: there's that's just one
1: denomination. Right.
0: There's a lot.
1: Yeah. But, uh, the hymns, hymns have a lot of good theology. Um hmm. uh, a modern group I like that I think uh, does thoughtful stuff is called City of light Uh I think they're out of Australia. I think they're Anglican, if I have that correctly.
0: Say it, say it again.
1: City alight. City alight. Uh I believe their songs go through a vetting process as well with their theological team. Um just to make sure they're presenting solid theology and uh, wow, correct thinking.
0: What a concept. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, th- everything's better in conversation. We, the, the spirit-filled believers, we need to talk to each other because, look, we're going to go astray. And so the best thing we can do is talk to our brothers and sisters and say, hey, what, what's wrong with me? We just sort of assume that something is, we would be better, right? Your, kids,
0: your kids are allowed to ask you questions
1: about Carolina. stuff. Well, um,
0: are you a strict, are you a strict disciplinarian? Are you,
1: I'm pretty, I'm pretty strict. I'm, I'm not the best mom as far as patience goes. I definitely have a lot <laughs> of improving to do. Um, and I was gonna say, they're allowed to ask me a question along. It's not the same question over and over in the form of mom, 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 right, mom. Right, right. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, my kids, we, we discipline. Um, as God disciplines us to share in his holiness, I mean, it can't be about punishing. That would be just trying to, I don't know, get something out of them for our own good. But if mm-hmm. we're, we're disciplining them, then we're setting boundaries and rules and consequences to help you, them learn.
0: If you eat enough. the, if you eat the fruit in the, in the kitchen yeah. on that yeah. day, you will surely die.
1: <laughs> you will surely <laughs> what, die.
0: What, yeah. what, what, a what kind of discipline do you use? If I can um, ask.
1: Yeah. Well, there are certain things that are spankable offenses. I mean, spanking is kind of unpopular, but, um, and, and it it needs to be, I think it's an age appropriate kind of discipline, um, Mm -hmm. for certain small people particularly. And, Mm -hmm. and I do not think it's child abuse when done without anger impassively in a loving way. When you say this was the wrong thing, you're getting a, you know, a physical thing, a physical discipline a pain that will teach you to avoid bigger pains down the road right like so everything should be done
2: yeah.
1: in love knowing that you're training them now to love the good and and to form certain kind of values and to avoid what will cause them the ultimate pain which would be rebelling against god right so right that's that's the end game is is to say no, you must learn now that there are consequences for wrong because I want you to avoid the biggest consequence, which is right. the wrath of God, and and so yeah, a little tap on the butt with a, a quick like goes right to the you know the three year old brain. Oh yeah, this this was actual pain, you know. And, and as kids yeah. get older, certain kinds of other things communicate to them well that this was painful to have done this thing. Like I don't know, my my oldest kid likes to collect his money so he loses a dollar you know or
2: okay that's a big pain
1: pain. that's a big pain you know to lose a dollar or my super squirrely six-year-old he has to put his nose on the wall and stand there you know that's super painful for him um and it's not just because i'm like yeah i can make you do whatever i want see i have all this power but it's to teach him to turn away from the things that will harm him you know yeah um
0: so you're Spangible. not water, you're not waterboarding your kids. Uh, you're not oh. doing anything that John McCain would be upset with. with. <laughs> no, um,
1: gosh. And I hope again, I, I don't, I really want to make a distinction between punishing a kid out of anger, yeah. which is really to self self-serving, right? right, right, right Modify right. their behavior because you're bothering me and it's, discipline. It's, a, kid.
0: it's thoughtful corporal punishment and uh, corporal because we're all in bodies.
1: Yeah. And sometimes and, that's the best way to explain to a child.
0: Yeah. Well, early early in this conversation, you'd mentioned the the fear of the Lord as the right. Uh, I can't remember exactly how yeah, you it said doesn't... it. Yeah, well, that's how it goes in the Bible, the fear of the right. Lord. Right. And there was some fear about something else. I can't remember. I think you went quickly to the fear of the Lord. Is is that kind of the thought of, of with spanking? Is is the sheer size difference. There's a size difference communicates to the kid, um, something profound. Yeah. About, about, and, and, and you're saying there is, are you trying to inspire some healthy fear in them?
1: They ought to have some fear of the wrong, right? So I want them to fear the wrong Mm -hmm. the most. Right. And so if I help communicate that to them through their discipline, then that's, that's good and loving thing to do and that's very thoughtful they ought to know that their kids come into like we were saying earlier kids come in the world they don't know anything like they're just learning things about the world and one of the things they need to learn is all humans need to learn is that they're under authority and they are because we're all under god and so you know kids who are never told no they're being done a huge disservice never being told that they are not doing it right never you know now I'm drifting over into teaching, never been told that they are off, right? right. We're right. not learning. We're not learning that we're under authority. And so then they don't, they they're primed for not submitting to God, or mm. that's a negative way of putting it, right? Whereas to teach yeah. them from the beginning that there's right and wrong and they have to listen to an authority, which actually makes them really secure, then the kids are so frightened and misbehave all the time when they don't know who's in charge mm. when they think they're in charge then uh-huh. yeah. you know then they learn their soul becomes accustomed to submission and we've we've helped them become the, the people who are ready to uh, also be humble before god and say yeah I'm, I'm a sinner and i need your salvation right um if you never tell a kid they're a sinner they just they just become adults who can't admit they're wrong ever And, and wow, then now they're, how will they, how will they come and bow bow the knee before God and and cry out for his help? How will they, how will they do that? They've, you know, they've practiced all their life being proud and no one's told them. Um, wow. So gosh, we just really, so
0: you're saying spanking ultimately can help your kids become more secure and healthy.
1: Yeah. And there's a time when it's, you know, no longer appropriate or, yeah, you know, you're not,
0: you're not, you're not just thoughtlessly ratcheting up the violence. Like when they're teenagers, now you have a knife to their throat or something.
1: Right. Oh gosh. No. Right. So
0: keep, stay afraid. You know, they, yeah, I mean, you're not, um, you're
1: trying to, yeah, you're not trying to make them afraid. You're trying to make them.
0: You're not old when, when you're really old, you keep spanking them. Like, uh, <laughs> you're now you're bombing their house and right like,
1: right and there's a t- you're trying to raise an adult gran- right
0: I upset grandpa again he's blowing right. up my shed in the backyard
1: this is what's happening now you're trying to to create a, a certain kind of adult right right, uh, right, right. A, a, a adult who a, and eventually doesn't really need yeah. anything other than your counsel and your advice you don't have authority okay. over them at some point in the same you're way you're trying not did.
0: to create a bully a bully trying not to create a bully people yeah
1: self-important person, a proud person. So
0: the spanking can't come off as bullying. You have to be very careful about that.
1: You have to be passive. I mean, not, sorry, not passive, but you have to impassive. So you can't be angry, cannot be angry. And you cannot, and listen, I'm.
0: Well, well, I already know that my parents spanked me wrong then.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) Because I I got spanked when they were angry.
1: We're human. You know, every (laughs) person is moved, especially when you see your kid hit or hurt another kid. Right. And then you're like, Oh no. Right. Um, but there's a place for it. And, 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 you know, God, it's what God does with us. Right. And, and we we would say, we say our fathers disciplined us and we respected them for that. And that's true with God. And, um, we, we need to do that for our kids because like, even Um, if you are the most, you know, permissive person, the fact is your kids are going to live under some kind of rules somewhere right in the workplace in in the government something
0: and it's going to affect have an effect on their bodies
1: yes it's going to be
0: corporal in some point
1: if they don't right if they're an undisciplined person and and you haven't trained them to to cease doing something they're gonna they're gonna get that spanking later in life anyway you know and it's gonna come and uh Better to love your kids enough to tell them no and to put an end to things and teach them now than to see them suffer in the future
0: that's awesome um, Wow, what a great I didn't expect to get to that topic, but you uh that's we did a wonderful that's a wonderful thing I'm impressed by how thoughtful you are just in general, I think a lot of people are going to be very impressed by how you approach parenting and how you approach uh, scholarship. I think some people have a hard time wrapping their minds around exactly how much scholarship you've done, like in terms of just getting your PhD. It's, it's a lot of work. You had Sitting to take, you had to take uh, qualifying exams, right?
1: That's right. Qualifying exams. I um, what,
0: what were those like? How long were your qualifying exams?
1: How long did I write them? Or how long did... How, well, their like year, what, what was their the year of preparation? Year their year of preparation. preparation. And 10 topics, if I'm, gosh, that's many years ago. Did they give you a
0: bibliography?
1: Yeah, you have to submit your bibliographies. Then you sit down, and I think it was over the course of two days, you write on your topics. Many. All day? Yeah, I think it was all day. Uh, I remember sitting in my carol, writing, writing, writing. Um,
0: Handwritten (laughs) or typed?
1: Typed, fortunately. I mean, they know at that point, you can't cheat. I mean, you either. There's
0: no internet access.
1: There is internet access, but there's just no way to.
0: You can't research and write. You have to just write.
1: You You can't if you don't know what you're talking about by that point. There's no time, left. So yes,
0: no great inflation.
1: Right, there's none because you will show mastery of the subject, or you won't. And and a quick internet search isn't going to do anything for you uh, on that level. You know, showing that you have Wikipedia doesn't
0: help at that point. (laughs) No. A quick bit of research. What were your topics?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so I was in liturgy. So I had to do something on um, each major period of the of the history of Christian worship. So I had an early Christian topic. Wow. I had uh, a, a medieval topic. I had a, re- a Reformation topic, a modern topic, and then I had several special topics. Um, reading in the early church, I think, is what I chose wow. for my early Christian topic. Uh, Did you have a
0: translation that you had to do?
1: Uh, I had some, well, I was working with sources that had to be translated um, oh, and some okay. of the bibliography would be in another language. So that was hard for me because I'm not great at languages, but I try. Um, and of course, some <laughs> of the, the more you practice, the better you are at that moment. So um, that, you know, I was very much into the languages at that, at that point. Um, something I always need to work on. And uh, so, yeah, I worked on those exams. Wow. You just write I think I mean you must have done exams too. write yeah. for a couple days and then submit. Oh, yeah. Then you have an they have an oral exam portion where the
0: they check for cavities.
1: That's right. <laughs> um, where are the empty you, and uh, you empty wrote
0: cases? for two days? Now let's make sure you're brushing your teeth.
1: Right, exactly. So then you sit down at a big table you're not, and you're all not your flossing. You don't there. get your
0: PhD. You're you can't up.
1: have this right. But that is terrifying because at your defense, if you fail.
0: What was Dude, your oral I exam? What? what was your oral exam like?
1: It was a moment. I felt that. How long God was it with me? How long was, How it? Long was that? I mean, it hours, felt like
0: hours, but I don't think it was
1: actually hours, Couple,
0: maybe one or two hours.
1: Maybe. Um, I do remember one part of that exam. It was either that or my master's exam. I don't remember.
0: <laughs> Trauma.
1: Trauma. Right. So, Which part was that? I remember a professor scooting over some latin to me and saying what does this say
0: (laughs) they want to make sure you're the one writing it oh gosh you know they want to make sure this person
1: Trauma. Every Talk grad student,
0: punishment. this right. body, they want to make sure this body, those yeah. fingers wrote that
1: They wrote this thing. Yeah. Right. I think everybody, once they graduate from a PhD program or a master's program, or any graduate study should get a free, you know, counseling sessions uh, going <laughs> oh, yeah. on. Yeah. And uh, then yeah. maybe a, a, it's not a bad
0: idea, actually.
1: Yeah. Right. Like, let's do Let's work through your your uh, any kind of <laughs> trauma you have from this you know
0: that's awesome
1: yeah i have to actually run because i gotta r- get the kids from school they'll be so so sad if i don't show up on time to well get
0: thank you for this wonderful good friday easter episode for well, us thank Cara. you for having me yeah and uh we thank you dr kara Aspesi.
1: thank you